from Parts Unknown. This is the TK and J Show. Now, here are your hosts, TK and J. And welcome to the second victory edition of the TK and J Show. I am TK. And I'm J. Jay, man, we start a podcast and the Browns win two games in a season. I think that's pretty good. Oh, so you're saying we're the good luck charms? Hey, I got to give my corrupt self credit for something at this point in my life. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's it's no coincidence, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm just saying we did start a podcast. They started winning, but was it because of us? Absolutely, it was because of us. I refuse to believe otherwise. <laughs> I, I'll take it. I mean, I'm not going to not gonna shun being a good luck charm, but, you know. I just want to make sure that we are accepting it proudly. Absolutely. So we got a big show set up for you guys tonight, but first and foremost, Jay, how was your week? Uh, the week was good, no complaints. Uh, all smiles on my face. Uh, Michigan got another victory. Uh, Ohio State got another victory. So we're on a collision course for a, a pretty epic Big Ten showdown. Um, everything is great so far. What about you? Ah, same here. Uh, once again, got in some golf. Uh, um, expected that. <laughs> not really uh, wanting to talk about the uh, scores. In fact, on Monday, I stopped keeping score after the ninth hole because it was just a cluster, you know what, of, uh, of <clears throat> shots. I lost too many balls, and everything was going way left. And finally, I just said, forget the score, just work on your game. So that's what I did. A lot of snowmans? Um, there was a nine in there and a ten. Um, I wish I would have had a snowman, but no, there were some nines and some tens. In See, there. I always stop counting when it gets to eight because it really doesn't matter after that point. You really, really I just have to bust. put it on the scorecard because yeah. I'm trying to get better at the game. So you got to be honest with yourself. But like, if I play bogey golf, that's a great thing. Uh, so I started off on it was a par five. I got a six, and then a par three. I got a four. I'm like, man, I'm feeling good about life. And yeah. then the 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 tracks came off the the train came off the tracks very quickly. We so. got in a conversation the other day about golf, about how easy golf is supposed to be i mean it's you golf ball and the holes and it just makes no sense how it's such a difficult game when all you're really supposed to do is hit a ball into a hole that's literally just the concept of it but it's so difficult to do and it's so crazy that it's that way i mean it 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 was just like a like an enlightening moment we when me and these guys were sitting there thinking wow that's really all this game really is, and we all suck at it. It's 90% mental, 10% physical of what you do, and if it gets in your head that you don't have it, then you're in trouble. Oh, well, then that's me 100%. This is why I'll never be good at golf, because I just just don't understand. Everyone will ask, you're a baseball player. Why can't you hit a ball that's sitting still? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. You know, I need to go to a sports psychologist for it, but I have no idea why I can't hit a ball that's sitting still perfectly at all but it was 80 degrees in october on monday so granted i played like garbage it was 80 degrees in october and i was on the golf course so i have zero complaints yeah it looks like you know your uh, prediction of el nino warming up our winners is is coming to fruition although we are getting a 49 uh, friday that's okay i would still play golf 49 and sunny i don't care Uh, i don't know about that that's football weather i played i played in 27 degrees before i didn't care i was the only one on the course and it was glorious (laughs) they're still open if it, some courses, if it's dry, they'll let you on, man. You might they, they kind of laugh at you when you go out when it's twenty seven degrees. But so literally, these people who own these courses sit out in the winter, and if it's dry weather, 
And well, there's snow there. on the ground, yeah, and it's, you know, it was in the 40s or 50s. There are some courses that'll let you on. Yeah, absolutely. That is crazy. I don't yeah, I mean, so they'll tell you it is wet, it's garbage, we haven't mowed, we haven't done anything, but you have the crazies like me where if it, you get a 50-degree day and there's no snow on the ground, thank you very much. Take my money. Man, uh, I'm learning so much about golf being on this show. I'm telling you, I just had no idea. This is a whole different world to me. I, I you know, I, I don't play sports like this, and I'm always interested in bettering myself at things. And, and and golf being a country club game and tennis being a country club game, a lot of people told me if you're going to do the business world, you need to, to learn how to play golf better. I know how to play it, but I need to play better. If I'm going to do, like, sales and stuff like that, I right. need to know. So, you know, I might have to dabble with you a couple times to get out there so I can uh, get these meetings in place on the golf course. Yeah, come on out. We'll, uh, we'll have some fun. But, man, we got a great show lined up for you tonight. Coming up next, we have Jack McCurry, co-host of the 1085 Grin Iron Pod. And the NC Sportscast pod, he's going to talk Browns with us. We're going to recap the Browns-Ravens, talk about his thoughts on the Browns so far, and we're going to talk about the collapse that was the Cleveland Indians in the division series. Um, and then after Jack uh, finishes up, we'll probably finish up some thoughts we have on the Indians. Uh, we'll recap week five. Uh, Jay got to see some of the uh, WWE Super Show this past weekend, and we'll break that down. Also... Uh, in between breaks, Jay's going to watch a Power Ranger theme movie. We'll break that down. I actually really enjoyed it, and I think he will too. And we'll have some updates on the Jackass list. So stay tuned for more coming right up. All right, time for some geek talk. And off the air, I showed Jay a seven-minute video. There's a game out there. It's called Power Ranger Legacy Wars, where you can be any Power Ranger from any season, the new movie, uh, you can be the Bat in the Sun Green Ranger. You can be Lord Draken from the comics. You can be the Ranger Slayer from the comics. But also, with Hasbro coming in, they own the rights to Street Fighter. So Street Fighter is part of this game as well. So our friends at Bat in the Sun, shout out to Aaron Skonka and his dad and, and their team, made a Power Ranger short, basically showing off the new Ryu Ranger, which for you gets a power coin. They bring in Ninjor, Jason David Frank is the Green Ranger, the uh, Yellow Megaforce Ranger, um, and they made this kick-butt movie. Seven minutes long, it's getting really good, because you can be every character. That's kind of how it leads up, and off the air, Jay is like, you mother on the hum, hum, hum. Yeah. over and over again. I, I'm just upset. I mean, I wanted to see the rest of that. Let's Let's go and fight. I, but it, it's fun. It, you know, you got me on the edge of my seat, and you left me hanging. The cliffhanger was great. One thing I was watching, first of all, I love Bat in the Sun. They do such great work bringing our childhood characters to life and, and answering questions about who would win between who. And I love that about that series. But this was just, this was just awesome. I, I was cheesing the whole time watching it. And there was another thing I want to give a shout-out to. I just want to shout-out to Saban and... The, the creators of Power Rangers and everybody for not being selfish with the franchise and allowing the franchise to do all this myriad of stuff without, you know, copyright infringements, you know, and, and hassle and contract disputes. Let's just have fun with it. And that's exactly what this was. This was seven minutes and 23 seconds of just fun and nostalgia. It starts off, you know, not to give away anything, but Megazord's beaten up, all destroyed, sitting, you know, half in the ocean. Dragonzord's all jacked up. You find out that Rita Repulsa brings M. Bison back, and Ryu can't understand why he's in the world that he's in. And, you know, Ninjor, who created the Power Coins, was stolen so M. Bison could make Evil Rangers, kind of like we saw in the 25th anniversary right. special. Uh, but, again, like you said, just 
letting the franchise grow in ways that it needs to grow, the nostalgia, letting that grow. Man, what a that was that was fun. I mean, I, I even got a couple of surprises the uh, second time around watching that because I watched it last night and I go, man, Jay's going to see this. I know he'll see it. And he goes, no, I haven't seen it. So I want to talk about that just because I thought, man, that was really, really cool to see. Yeah, and one of my favorite Rangers uh, made an appearance. I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, the Phantom Ranger from the Turbo series. Uh, one of the better outfits that I've seen in in the Power Rangers series. Uh, second, not 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 second to Tommy's Green Ranger outfit, but I would say one of the better costumes. I hadn't seen him in forever, and I was super excited because you know I was telling Terry that I was a super fan when I was younger when the Turbo series came out, and they brought out their sixth Ranger, and it was the Phantom Ranger. He's an awesome ranger to me. I think he's just a robot. He's not even a real human being. He never demorphed in the, in the whole entire time he was there. I don't remember it if he did, but I, I just loved what how he looks. And I, I'm excited to see if they bring out any of his powers during the next, you know, seven-minute clip uh, with, 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 the, with the Phantom Ranger. Yeah, you know, Bat in the Sun, not only have they done that, but they've done, like you said, they do a show. It's called Superpower Beatdown, and they basically ask the fans... Who would win in a fight between one of them, the, one of the more famous ones, Batman versus Darth Vader? That one, I, I, you know what's funny? I was thinking that in my head. That's the one I have the most beef with. I, I literally disagreed with the way they did that. Um, I will, I'll say fine, Darth Vader with the way his powers are, he may be able to beat Batman. But the thing about that's nostalgic to me about Batman is he is just a normal human being and finds a way to overcome at all times. So to think that Batman didn't have a plan for Darth Vader, it, it, it's it it's short-sighted for me for, from Bat in the Sun. And then, I don't know if everybody's seen it, I won't spoil it how it ends. I'm just kind of letting you know that Batman does lose Darth Vader. I'm not going to tell you how, but, right. uh, you know, I felt like Batman, for me, would have put up a better fight because he fought Superman at one point and has actually defeated Superman. So to say that one of the most powerful beings in the world gets defeated by Batman and, you know, Darth Vader isn't one of the more powerful beings in the universe. So it was just short-sighted that they, that the fans thought that Darth Vader would easily handle Batman. Yeah, and some of the other ones, though, and I agree with that, too, but I kind of saw that coming only because I knew the fans would vote the way that they voted. I don't, I didn't think Batman would have a chance against, uh, you know, Darth Vader. Uh, but, like, you know, when would you ever see Joker versus Negan from The Walking Dead? They've done it. Uh, they've done Nightwing versus Winter Soldier, DC versus Marvel. They've done that. They've done Wonder Woman versus Wolverine. They've done Spider-Man versus Darth Maul. That was pretty cool. That was a good one. They did uh, White Ranger versus Scorpion. That was that was one of my favorites. They and then the big thing is in that one I won't spoil exactly what happens, but Tommy doesn't morph. He just kind of shows up as the White Ranger. Now they wanted to see fans ask for a Green Ranger one and he morphs. And the way that they redid the Green Ranger costume is the same as what you saw in this movie. And it was kind of cool to finally have them say, "Yeah, Ninja gave me an upgrade," which is cool because. Tommy gets his Green Ranger power back. It's just another way that they can explore the series subplot. Well, how did he get the Green Ranger power back? Mm -hmm. well, what, what did Ninjor do? And my theory was always when Andros destroyed Zordon at the end of Power Rangers in Space, and he turned all the evil creatures good, like all the some of the main characters, and everybody else was turned to dust. At that point, I feel like that's when Tommy's coin was restored. Zordon's goodness was able to restore that to what it should have been. And maybe that's what you do, or maybe they can show away how Ninja restored it. Just more things that they can go in depth with character development for, for later on. But I digress. Anyway, some of the more other matchups. You have Punisher versus Red Hood. 
Captain America vs. Master Chief, Wolverine vs. Predator, Superman vs. Thor, and the list goes on. These guys really do a great job kind of showing each character what their strong suits are, what their weak points are, um, and just hats off to Aaron Skonka and his team. They just do a wonderful, masterful job. If you find yourself watching Bat in the Sun, you better clear out a whole weekend because it, it, it it's like you'll look at one video, and while you're watching the video or watching the build to the video, you're looking at the bottom of what's up next or recommended, and you're just like, oh, gosh, I got to see that too, you know? They had Casey Jones uh, face... I, I Kick-ass. Yes. Casey Jones versus Kick-ass. And, and they had uh, a wrestler, a former wrestler, uh, Johnny John Morrison, for all you wrestling fans, play Casey Jones. And he was a perfect Casey Jones in this in this event and just for me it's just warms my heart it just fills my heart watching this stuff because the it's like you would if you were going to your toy chest and you decided you know what today i'm gonna take gi joe and he's gonna face the undertaker that's that's literally what bat in the sun does i mean it's literally what you would have done when you were a kid just playing with your toys except for this is live action you get an answer of who would have won and, and, it, and it gives you conclusion to these things. You may disagree with some of them like I do, but it still gives you conclusion. It's fun to watch. And I love how they leave it up to the fans to decide who's going to win. And I know that when they filmed uh, White Ranger vs. Scorpion, White Ranger won 59, 51 to 49%. It was the closest vote they ever had. So they actually had to film two endings to that because they didn't know how it was going to end by the time the, that the voting closed. And kudos to them for actually giving the fans what they want to see. You know, it's like the ultimate babyface kind of show. You're going to get what you want to see uh, no matter what happens, which is, you know, really, really cool. And just shows, too, that, you know, Jason David Frank, as his Ranger forms, they're 2-0 in this. So goes back to my point a few years ago, who's got the better franchise, Star Wars versus Power Rangers. I'm going to say Power Rangers, man. I mean, that's just Maybe, just maybe we got to write Bat in the Sun and, and have this matchup between uh, Kylo Ren, uh, per se, and Darth Vader versus the the either one of those Rangers, we got to make it happen because that will solve it right there. Where the since the fans vote, I'll get crushed. <laughs> that will solve it right there if the fans vote. It, for me, uh, you know, Scorpion got beat before in the movie by Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage had no extra powers except for his shadow kick, so I would figure he would be no match for the White Ranger who had just as much martial arts skills as he did like Johnny Cage did. So I agreed with that one. I would have hate to see what would it would look like if Scorpion would have won that because Scorpion is one of the most ruthless Mortal Kombat characters there has ever been. And I feel like there would be some head ripping, heart heart ripped out, spines hanging places if he'd have won. And I wouldn't want to see the Just watch the the alternate ending and you'll see what happens. Ah, I don't want to yeah. see that. All right, <laughs> I don't enough. know if I want to see the White Ranger lose because in my opinion... The Green Ranger and the White Ranger don't lose. And even when they faced each other, they still didn't lose. The Green right. Ranger still didn't lose when they they fought each other back in the day in the Power Rangers. They, it was kind of more of a stalemate where, you know, they kind of just became friends after a while. So Right. So I want to get your uh, your take on this because, um, you know, we're talking to Jason David Frank. We were talking about this off the air. You know, Punk has gotten punked twice in UFC badly. Hasn't had any offense or anything like that. And Jason David Frank wants to fight him. 
and they've done many cons together. They've taken many pictures together. And when the when the notion was brought up to Punk the first time a year or so ago, hey, this guy wants to fight you. You know, it'd be an evenly matched fight. You both haven't had a big professional fight. Both amateurs. I don't know who that guy is. I only fight real celebrities. Punk, you got your ass kicked twice. Stop hiding behind your wife's purse. Get your balls out and let's make this happen. Yeah, and and to say that comment, it's just a, such a such a horrible comment. Short sighted. It makes you look foolish. Everybody knows who Jason David Frank is. Punk isn't a household name. You know, and when we're talking about Punk, most of you might have to make me and TK clarify. We're talking about CM Punk, former best in the world. Uh, three, two, three to two time heavyweight champion in WWE. He has looked terrible in the UFC ring. And Jason David Frank is saying, you know, here's your springboard opportunity. Beat me and become a household name because everybody knows who Jason David Frank is. If you don't know who Jason David Frank is, what rock have you been living under? Right. He, he is the most iconic child character we know to this day. So he wants to bring this put this match together, have it happen, it probably, you know, Dana White might be even be interested in having this happen. Or even Bellator might even want to pick that up. You know, it's, it's, it's a marketable fight. You, you get the Green Ranger, because that's what he's going to be billed as. He's not going to be billed as Jason David Frank. It's going to be like, come see Javen, Jason David Frank, the former Power Ranger, Green Ranger, White Ranger, whatever they're going to put on there, against former WWE star CM Punk. It's something that has to happen, and for Punk to shy away like he's too good for this fight is ridiculous. Quite honestly, I think he's afraid of getting his ass kicked. He Again, will. Oh, he will. I mean, I think that he really learned that he is not cut out for that. But, I mean, I have to give him props at the end of the day for going in there and getting his hand, head handed to him twice. But the work he put in, the training he put in, I think the guy actually tried to get better and do well and show respect to the sport, but... At the age he tried it, it, it just didn't go well. But to come out and say that you're not going to fight a YouTube celebrity, come on, man. The guy's more than that. He's way more than that. And you would get your rear end handed to you. We all know it. And I think that's what basically it is. You're trying to hide behind your macho uh, personality. But we all know at the end of the day, because Jason shows his, his training videos, he shows him his old fight videos, he's going to be against some guys that are twice his size on some of his amateur fights and he's come out on top. Yeah, he's taken some hits, but he figures out a way to come out on top. Yeah. And Jason's best attributes, I think, are, his, are his, his legs, his offense, but his legs. But it's also he his true-to-life heart that, that he shows in the Power Rangers series. He also has that in the ring. He's, he's in there, you're not going to beat me. And right. if he gets beat, you earned it. You, you definitely earned it if you're going to beat Jason David Frank. And I, and I agree that CM Punk has to be scared. He, Jason David Frank is, I think, maybe not. I don't know if they're the same age. I, uh, I, think, well, I think Jason just turned 45 early, uh, actually last week. So happy birthday, uh, Jason David Frank. You can follow him on Twitter at JDFFFN. Happy birthday, Jason. Yeah, so I think CM Punk's is just at, just at 40, maybe, maybe yeah. a little younger. Yeah. Um, and, and still, even with Jason David Frank being older, I still, he's just more knowledgeable. He's wiser. He, he's he's had more experience in the in the octagon than CM Punk, so it would be a bad it would wouldn't be the most it wouldn't be the most friendly fight for for Punk to take. But at the end of the day, what else do you have to do? No one wants to fight Punk anymore because it's not boasting anybody's career. It's no. not boosting them at all. No. And so if you go in against Punk, it's just like you punched a baby and you were happy about it. Like that's literally where Punk's offense is right now it is 
embarrassing to watch. It is sad to watch. You almost feel like when Ronda Rousey came back the second time after she got her face kicked off by uh, Holly Holmes, it was like scary. It was like, yo, somebody get in there because she don't got it no more. Right. Like, get in there. And that's how I felt about CM Punk this last time. Get in there because he's going to get hurt. It's 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 like Apollo Creed, man. Like, get in there. Throw, throw the damn towel. Throw the towel in, man, because <laughs> we're going to be holding him, in, and that's where he's going to die in the ring. You know, right. it's it's not a good look right now. So to, to, to shun this fight, I feel like it's a little short-sighted. I would take it, I, especially if someone was talking reckless to me, saying that they could take me out. If I was if I was anybody in this sport, I would take the fight. Right. Purely. Jason Jason isn't gone on record as saying he doesn't want any money. He doesn't want any like publicity. You know, he just wants to go out there and fight the guy. Basically, probably just to shut him up. Sure. Try to you know smack talk. And I think the more he gets his ass kicked in MMA, the harder it's going to be to actually be taken seriously in any kind of wrestling promotion that he might do. And I feel like you know it's going to be one of those Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather things. It's going to come way too late. We're going to watch because we're going to be interested. But the product is just going to be so just just under what it could have been if they had just did it sooner. Right. Than when they did. And, and i just not going to be a fan if they don't do this here in the next year or so. Speaking of <coughs> under what it could have been, let's talk about WWE Super Showdown. Man. Shaking his head no over here, man. I didn't get up and watch it, but you did. T- tell us, tell me your thoughts. So I got up one time at 5 a.m. like a trooper. Um, I started watching. I got about a couple matches in, and I ended up falling asleep. Um, my poor wife came downstairs, saw me watch it, and was actually nice enough to pause it where I fell asleep and put a blanket over me. Aw, so, little lady. So when I woke up, I said, man, I, I, I dozed off. I wondered what I missed. And she was like, you didn't miss anything. I paused it for you. So I, I continued to watch. And again, two, three matches in, I just was on my phone texting, thinking about other stuff other than the matches, and I ended up falling asleep again. I, long story short, folks, I fell asleep three times during this thing and had to rewatch to even got, give you some type of substance to uh, about this, this show. Right. So overall, it's for me... WWE might be losing my attention, but it's not because I'm not a fan. It's because the product isn't as exciting as it could be. Now, don't get me wrong. There was exciting matches. AJ Styles and Samoa Joe really know how to put on a show. Yes. And, But at the same token, let's flip this coin. There was a match scheduled at that event that should have been just like that match. Daniel Bryan and The Miz had the potential to steal the show. And WWE booked it so bad that I almost didn't want to watch the rest of the pay-per-view. Two minutes? It was a two-minute match. And then they come out on SmackDown and make fun of him being the two-minute man. It's just like, come on, guys. Like, I get it. That was funny. And it had a couple of funny pops last night. But for the rivalry that these two have had for a shot at the WWE <clears throat> title, the most prestigious title in sports entertainment, which I believe that it is uh, because of the legacy of names that have held the title in the past, for going down to Crown Jewel, you're building this as almost like a WrestleMania type pay-per-view and the guy who's going to face AJ Styles, it's a two minute match. I mean, that's the best you have. What was it? Time constraints? What, what, what happened there? You know, they, they, you know what happened? I honestly think that they put them in the, the women's card match. They put that in front of Taker and Triple H and wanted to give Trip, Triple H and Taker the floor. 
however long they want to go, we're going to give it to you. And so they probably told him, <clears throat> you don't got much time when you go out there. We, we're, we're under certain limits. So they went out there. But for me, they could have done better in that two minutes. They could have had a high-powered match, and somehow it ended flimsy. But what had happened was is they wrestled like they were going to wrestle f- for the whole entire match. No real punishing moves, no real finishing moves, none of that. No buildup of, oh, we're about to get the skull-crushing finale into the yes kicks. None of that. We just get a, a schoolboy roll-up, and that's it. And right. and I, I I literally, I'm telling you, TK, I looked at my wife when that match said, ding, ding, ding. I said, it's taking every bit of me. If the next match wasn't Taker and, and Triple H, this this stuff would be off. Right. <laughs> the match that should have had the two, three-minute showing was the Bobby Lashley, John Cena, Kevin Owens, Elias match. I mean, Bob... Uh, because John Cena wasn't taking any bumps because of the movie he's doing. He know, came in, did his John Cena stuff, and got the hell out of there. Okay, that's three minutes. Boom. John Cena just got $2 million or whatever it was to do that, and he's not even in the picture right now. Why are they doing that to guys like Miz and Daniel Bryan? It just doesn't make especially sense. Especially the Miz. The, I'm, I'm, you know, family-friendly, but damn it... Miz deserves his chance. He should be the one in the match with AJ Styles. Love Daniel Bryan. This match, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan, it's got potential to be amazing. Really does. Two of the same type of wrestlers, same style wrestlers, like to high fly, like to jump around the ring. Both similar body styles. Styles, this will be awesome. But what on you know, bridging with awesome, the Miz is the best. Mouth on the mic. He's the best hill right now, and would not be, it would not be anything better to see Miz take out AJ Styles after AJ Styles has almost held that belt for a year and let Miz have a run and be a heel champion, similar to what Seth Rollins was. I mean, that's what I wanted. That's how I wanted to be booked. And now I feel like right now WWE, you need to make this triple threat match. This needs to be a triple threat match where the Miz comes out like a weasel and sneaks out with this championship and surprises both Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. Do you think they could throw us a curveball only because the Bella Twins both turned heel on Monday night that they might turn Bryan heel at this pay-per-view? Oh, wow. That's something I never thought about. But Daniel Bryan, when he was a heel, people still laughed at him. Right. You know, when he was the no-man, people still, he was a joke. Well, I mean, Elias is a heel and he's over as all get-out. And like we said earlier and in other shows, they book him horribly. He is over. Like when you when he says WWE stands for, I know what they're saying. Everyone in that building is saying walk with Elias. Sure. And my wife's like, what they say? And I'm like, WWE, walk with Elias. And she's just shaking her head because she's not gonna sit there and watch it with me. She'll read a book or, you sure. know, whatever. But um, she was just like shaking her head no, but I'm like, that just shows though that the guy's over and he's not being booked. And I just like I was waiting for a big name like Austin or Rock to come out, you know, and just beat the hell out of him because that's Usually what's happened recently is he comes out, does a shtick, and gets the hell beat out of him. And then Ronda Rousey shows up. Right. Like, I like what they're doing with Ronda Rousey. I really do. Um, she still looks a little green. Um, but I appreciate them giving her an actual rival in Nikki Bella because what they're what they're telling us when they put her against Nikki Bella, there's no longer playing around. She's not getting any more dummies. She's getting somebody who's established. Right. And I like that, you know, because... Nikki Bella is an established wrestler. She's been there for a while. She's probably on top of the game as much as anybody. I think the only one that rivals her right now as far as the women game goes is Charlotte Flair. And, it, you know, I don't think 
I don't think the styles with Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey match up right now, but Nikki Bella is, is a powerhouse like like her. I don't know what he is to her anymore, John Cena. Um, <clears throat> he's, she wrestles like him, and I feel like their styles will match up. Hopefully they book it well that Nikki is allowed to wrestle Ronda, and, and Ronda doesn't look to be just throwing Nikki around the ring because that's not how any matches have gone with Nikki Bella. She's been pretty dominant striking pretty hard so i hope that they put on a great match where you know it's back and forth they both show their power they both show their prowess in the ring i, I like this booking they just got to do it right it has right. great potential to be great and a lot of these matches that are shaping up on the pay-per-view have a lot of potential in fact the weakest match for me right now is the roman reigns brock lesnar and uh braun Strowman match that has the weakest potential to me I'm not a fan. I don't care about that match because I've seen it already. Exactly. And I'm also not a fan of Vince McMahon's belief that the the man of the company has to be some big brew. I, th- these guys, Braun Strowman, he's hilarious when he just blows people up and runs around the ring and does that stuff. But I'm not a fan of those guys anymore, you know, larger-than-life guys. I, I'm more of a fan of these guys that are the, the underdog types, guys that are your and my size where they're moving around the ring and they look like they actually – are fighting as opposed to it's just not for me the bigger guys it's unbelievable to feel that they could ever get hurt right and when you have a guy like Brock Lesnar and Braun Strowman get in the ring you know the way those two fight against each other it should be an absolute move the ring moment except for it's not right and that 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 makes it hard to watch because it's just slow lethargic not good wrestling at all they're just big brutes, and they don't do anything that that is amazing to me with their strength because it's hard to do. You have to actually do that. But with smaller guys, they always do these death-defying things that and create new things because they have smaller bodies and things like that. So I, I'm just not a fan of this main event because that's what it's going to be. I'm, a, I'm actually more f- a fan of everything before it, and, and hopefully, you know, by the time it that the main event comes around, I won't be asleep again because I will not wake up for this main event. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. I don't even care who wins this main event. If, and if Brock Lesnar wins this main event, I might be through with the Universal Championship. It, it means nothing to me if Brock Lesnar wins this. There's no way that they're going to... And I really hope that um, that match does not close the show. It either needs to be the WWE title because it's the WWE freaking title or the Brothers of Destruction versus Degeneration X. Let's talk about the Triple H Undertaker match because I know you said you watched it. I saw a lot of uh, uh, highlights of it. It looks like they did exactly what they've done in the past few WrestleManias and just go out there old school, beat the living hell out of each other. It looks like both of them are probably very, very sore during, you know, even the next day. And Kane and uh, Shawn Michaels definitely played a big role in those matches. You know, it's funny uh, when they build it for the last time ever except for we're going to do it again at Crown Jewel. It's, so it's hilarious to me. But uh, those guys went out there and they put out a show. And this is why we keep asking them to come back. Forget the wrestling. It's the storytelling that always does it. Where the Undertaker, during part of this match, looked at Shawn Michaels and basically was telling him, like the Undertaker would, a guy the size of the Undertaker would, basically if you had a, had a friend um, you know, going, if you had your friend that was in a fight with a big dude, and he was basically looking at you in the eye saying, you know what, tell him to stay down or I'm going to keep beating him up. That's exactly what The Undertaker did. He kept 
looking at Shawn Michaels telling him, you know, come save your friend or I'm going to keep beating him up. And that was the storytelling that was going on. And I loved every minute of it because that's how it's supposed to happen. The wrestling isn't just supposed to be fighting. It's supposed to be a storytelling moment. And that's exactly what went down was a storytelling moment. These two put it all on the line. The Undertaker looks like he's getting stronger. From the time he first faced Triple H and he could barely leave the ring in Atlanta to the, to now, it looks like he's getting stronger and he's putting on better matches. Now, he's not doing exactly what he used to where he used to jump over and fly in the ring and take off, but he's he's able to go. He doesn't look as tired as he normally used to before before these matches. So I'm excited that that he's wrestling more. I don't think he's got much left, but I'm excited that he's got he's gotten some. Right, and you know, I was, you know, like I said, I didn't see, you know, the pay per view. I thought about getting it, but I didn't want to get up that early. Um, and me being a cheapskate, I didn't want to spend the money on the network just with some of the things that you know they've done recently. Um, but I love watching those old school matches where guys leave it all out on the line. That's the kind of match you would want to see for a WWE title, for a Universal title. Um, and then you know, just the Shawn Michaels and, and Kane aspect of it. Uh, you know, at the end, you know they. You know, they, they hug, they embrace, and then the Brothers of Destruction leave those two looking like the old homeless broken down men that we saw on Raw a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and, you know, the next night Triple H comes out and he's like, are you ready? And I'm just like, oh, snap, here we go again. You know, and, and part of me was just too blind to see it coming. But, uh, you know, I didn't think I'd ever see Shawn Michaels uh, coming out of retirement, like Jack said on our, on our, our earlier tonight. It, it blew my mind. I just didn't really... I thought Shawn Michaels was riding off into the sunset. He was good with his last match. Uh, and that was it. And here we are, almost eight years later. You know, a bald Shawn Michaels is coming to us to to, to basically make a comeback with Degeneration X for like the 1100 time. But 1100 time in one, I'd still be happy to see Degeneration X. You know? Right. And the Brothers of Destruction. I mean... You know, I didn't even think Kane was going to wrestle anymore. And now that he's, you know, mayor, mayor, of, Knox, mayor Knox. of Knox County, like, yeah. you know, you're sitting there thinking you, you are mayor of the county that has one of the bigger cities in Tennessee in Knoxville. How do you even find the time? But whatever. I don't care. You found the time. Let's well, I, go, Brothers of Destruction. I know that um, WWE, for each appearance, they're making a generous donation to Knox County on his behalf. So the next time they're in Knox County... Vince is going to show up, or someone high up is going to show up and present them with a check donated to whatever it is that they need. So he's doing it, but he's doing it with the purpose of, I might not make as much money as I normally do, but my city and my county, they're going to benefit from my wrestling career, which I think is a pretty stand-up thing for him to do. And it would, you know what? We need more We need more mayors like him then. Right. Uh, get in the ring. Kane for president. <laughs> Never mind. No, I'm not getting political. Never mind. Oh, that's, not, that's not political. For me, <laughs> Kane for president. Kane for president. The Rock for president. I, you know, I don't care. You know, for me, I like what Kane is doing then. I didn't know that. That's, that's a good tidbit. I, I had no idea, but that's really putting yourself out there working for your count. When you think... What are you doing for me? He's literally putting his body on the line. And welcome back to the TK and J show. We have a special guest for this segment, uh, Jack McCurry. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Hello? This worked earlier. Jack, are you there? 
Hello, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Welcome to our show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So uh, before we get started, Jack, plug your stuff. Tell us, uh, tell us what you do. Uh, I'm the co-host of the 1085 Gridiron Podcast with Anthony Jokey. I'm also the writer and editor of the North Coast Sports. Uh, you guys can check that out at thenorthcoastsports.com. Excellent, excellent. This is my co-host, Jay. Say hi to Jay. Hey, Jack. Uh, glad to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me on, man. So let's dive right into it. Let's talk some Cleveland Browns. Um, we were uh, joking in our open before we had you on that ever since we started a podcast, the Browns started winning. So we thought we'd take some of the credit for that. <laughs> 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 so uh, what, what would you grade the Browns so far this season, Jack? From what you've seen, what are your grades for the Browns? You know, for the players, coaching staff, Hugh Jackson. Um, you know, for me, you know, I would give the players an A. Um, I, you know, the talent that they have put together, um, what the talent that was already here going into this season, mm-hmm. I thought they've done a great job through five games. They've exceeded my expectations through five games, the coaching staff, you know, I'm indifferent on Hugh Jackson still, and he's still got a lot to prove to me. Todd Haley's been pretty good for me. You know, I think when he gets down towards the goal line, I think he gets too cute, but overall I've been impressed with the offense. Greg Williams definitely gets an A from me. And Amos Jones gets an F because the special teams unit has been god awful. What was that last part? Sorry, I had someone call into my uh, iPhone and it goes through the iPad, so we missed uh, the special teams part. Oh, you're good. Um, I would give Amos Jones an F because the special teams unit has been one of the worst that I've seen as an NFL fan. I would agree with you on that. I'm very indifferent on Coach Jackson myself. I think he's a really nice guy and he means well. Um, But when push comes to shove, I don't really know. And maybe he still has to prove it. I don't know about how Jay feels, but I don't know if he's the guy that's necessarily going to lead us to the next step. I think he can get us to the doorstep of being where we want to be, but I don't think – he manages the game well enough, and he's been here two-plus years, and he still hasn't shown me that he can still manage a game. Um, I would give Todd Haley – I'd give Todd Haley a solid B, only because I feel like he gets real cute, like you said, in the red zone. And I still don't understand that play with Rod Streeter trying to do a, a wide receiver reverse. I just thought that really almost killed the momentum of the game on Sunday. I, I think I'm in agreement with all your grades there, uh, uh, Jack. Uh and and but the one that that I would say um, you know with with Hugh, I I, I don't I don't know I, I'd say he's a D. Uh, I I think when I was watching uh, Hard Knocks, it didn't feel like he was an assertive enough person, and it looked like the other coaches were behind him were like, yeah, whatever, dude, we're waiting for you to get fired so we can one of us can get your job and turn this team around for real. So I I really don't I'm not I'm not a fan of Hugh. Um, if he turns his team around, then. By all means, stay here. But I need a playoff. He either goes to the playoffs or he's gone. That's how I feel about it. That that's really my my end goal with Hugh is. All right, we've had enough of this. You know, if you, if we don't make the playoffs this year with him, which I know we won't, we 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 should be able to look into somebody else that may be able to get us and this talent to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. You know. Um... You know, make no mistake about it. Hugh is just as responsible for the one and thirty-one record that Sashi Brown gave us. I mean, Hugh is just as responsible for that. Um, you know, I will give him the benefit of the doubt. Sashi Brown, he added some talent, but he didn't add enough talent, obviously, and that's why he was fired at the towards the end of last season, and that's why Dorsey's here. But you know, you've seen it. Hugh's in-game management. 
his decision making, his clock management, it's all been bad. And, you know, it's still carrying over. He just so happens to have two great coordinators um, in his back pocket, Todd Haley and Greg Williams. But, you know, they're going to have to win a lot more ball games this year for me to want to give Hugh Jackson another year. But right now, I mean, I'm good with him being the head coach. But if things seem to completely collapse, then you obviously have to make the coaching change. But if they were to go on and win, I don't know, seven, eight, nine games, I wouldn't be opposed to giving him another year. Yeah, I would say if he wins seven, eight, nine games, I would give him another year too, only because if, when you come from one and 31 and, you know, one and 15 and then zero and 16, if you have a coach that can reach these guys and get eight, nine wins out of them and a tie, um, you know, because to, to me, a tie is not a loss. It's not a win, but it's not a loss. Um, so I would certainly take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to and just for the stability factor too, because we've been through so many coaches, so many coordinators, so many quarterbacks, and with as well as Baker Mayfield has come out playing, yeah, he's had a few turnovers that weren't his fault and things like that. I don't want to see them switch coordinators like they've done to Blake Bortles and like they've done some some other quarterbacks around the league. The kid needs stability, and if you look at you know the Josh McDaniels up in New England and, thing, and those coordinators like that, sustained. Uh, coaching staffs equal sustained success in most cases. Yeah, I'm still a little hard on Henry Jackson. So I, I would be willing to, to you know, kind of draw back on the playoff thing. If we get seven to nine wins and we look the way we've looked, I'd be okay with keeping them. But right. if we're, we're we're collapsing, like Jack said, then, then yeah, he's got to go. Right. You know. So, Jack, let's turn to your thoughts about the Browns-Ravens game on, on Sunday. I thought it was a very, very ugly game to say that the majority of it at work because uh, we're pretty small on Sundays, especially that win. Yeah, definitely. It was an ugly game, no mistake about it. But, uh, yeah, a win's a win. Um, Baker Mayfield continues to impress me every time he goes out on that football field. That kid, you know, he could, it could, he could have the world falling on him, and that kid would still step up and make a play to help the Browns win. Um, and, and Hugh Jackson said it postgame. He goes, that kid doesn't flinch. Um, and you see it. I mean, he threw that interception early, shook it off, had a great game through 342 yards. I think that's the most by a Browns rookie since 99. Um, you know, the defense Denzel Ward, you know, he's making a strong case for defensive player of the year, but that whole defense has played great in the first five games, minus the Oakland game, you know, yeah, that was a yeah you're going to have a couple of those every year, but to the Browns credit, they hung in there with Oakland score for score, but every, every team, no matter how good a defense is, they're going to have a clunker like that. And I think they learned a lot from it coming out and holding um, not a great offense, but a, a, a good NFL offense. to so only nine points, they were averaging 31 a game and they only held them to three field goals. That's pretty damn amazing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Baltimore had scored 20 points or more in 13 consecutive games and the Browns held them to nine. I mean, that's showing that their defense is going in the right direction. And you could make the argument that they are a top 10, maybe even a top five defense in the NFL right now. Yeah, you mentioned that. And Ben Albright on Twitter, I don't know if you guys follow him or not. I like a lot of his insights. And he releases his power rankings every every week. And he's got the Browns number eight overall in the league, which I think is a very telling sign. Um, I think that you're seeing the national media slowly start to believe in this team that not only can they – are they playing better? But they're a contender now. Um, and I saw Jim Rome's uh, NFL uh, on CBS uh, special that he had or the little segment that he had calling the Browns America's team. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think Hard Knocks kind of changed the way everyone looks at Cleveland? You know, 
you remember if you go back to John Dorsey's uh, introductory press conference and he said he was going to awake the sleeping giant that is the Cleveland Browns. I think the fan base that loves the Cleveland Browns was also a sleeping giant. And once you started seeing the Browns have success, it it's starting to rise up and show that they are indeed America's team. I do think hard knocks had um, a help in that, but Brown's fan base is not only nationwide, it's internationally. I don't know if you guys know Paul Brown. He does the uh, international Browns podcast, you know, the Browns following over in London, the United kingdom, all over the world, you know, the dog pound is running rampant. And I think if the Browns keep going this way, I think we might supplant Dallas as America's team. And and we're, we're kind of, we kind of really do fit the underdog role where, you know, everybody is looking to us to, and pulling for us to turn it around, not just for our fans, but for, for the product and, and for the team and everything like that. So I think hard knocks was the beginning of it. Like you said, that to show everybody that this is, this is going to be a different team. And then on the field, we've also passed the eye test where arguably we could be five and oh, just for a few things here or there, we could be a 5-0 and team right now. Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously the record is what it is, but, you know, they've been – it's gone down to the wire every single game. And I said it on uh, my podcast on Monday. I think we're seeing the revival of the Cardiac Kids because the yep. way that these games have gone down to each – like the last second of each game, we've lost – won or lost a game in every way possible, whether it's in regulation or overtime, but – you know, like I said, I don't know how many more of these I can take. I just turned 26 <laughs> on Monday. If I have a heart attack and die, it's going to be because of these Browns games this year. Yeah, amen to that. And ha- uh, happy belated to you, 26. Man, you make me feel like an old man here at 33. I do that to a lot of people on uh, social media, so don't feel bad. So I want to get back to Baker Mayfield for a minute, because not only did he throw for 342, but he got nine different receivers involved, which for a rookie quarterback I think is amazing because – I think that just puts to sleep the notion of some of the Ravens players coming out today and saying he stares down his receivers. Well, I would beg to differ because if you hit nine different guys, you're obviously not staring at too many people long enough to telegraph where you're going to go with the football. Yeah, definitely. He spreads it around the field, whether it's to a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end. And it doesn't matter if you're a Pro Bowl type receiver like Jarvis Landry or you're a classified as a blocking tight end like Darren Fells or even an undrafted rookie like Derek Willies, if you're open and Baker trusts you, he's going to get you the ball and you're going to have an opportunity to make a play. I think it's kind of ridiculous that someone would say that after, get, you know, getting 342 put up on them. Obviously, he wasn't, you know, he obviously was doing something right. Even if he's staring down his receivers, y'all not covering them. So I think that's a ridiculous comment by, by the Ravens on that. Right, and I just think, too, a lot of these teams are finally starting to see that the Browns aren't the same old Browns and no, not a guaranteed no, no. win. And some of these teams that they played, they're leaving frustrated. I mean, you have a Saints team who moved the ball with ease over the Washington Redskins with three points through three quarters you know, just a few weeks ago. So I really think that teams are, you know, really starting to get flustered with the way the Browns are playing. And you know what? It's about time. Yeah, we're kind of a relentless defense right now. Absolutely. Just play after play, just in the quarterback's face, in the receiver's face, in the running back's face, just hitting them hard, picking off the ball left and right. Yeah, and I think it is that, you know, we've been the team for years that teams would come in and punch us in the mouth. Well, now we're the team that gets back up from that punch and punches punches uh, the opposing team right back in the mouth. So um, the this isn't the same old Browns. We're not – they're not laying down for anybody, and they're going to – 
give you a fight all the way to the end. The one thing that I will say that I'm not maybe a big fan of, and I know that, you know, we played in overtime, but I really don't want to see Baker Mayfield throw the ball 40 times a game week in and week out. Um, I just think that's asking too much of a rookie quarterback. Uh, I really, you know, not that they run the ball terribly, but I'd like to see them run the ball maybe a little bit more consistently and get Hyde and Chubb in the game, you know, into the game more often than, than having Baker drop back. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can understand that, but I mean, you look at the numbers, we're averaging around 38 pass attempts a game, but we're averaging close to 32 attempts a game. So it is a kind of a, it is somewhat of a balanced offense to a degree, but yeah, I would rather not see Baker throw 35, 40 times a game. And I mean, if the running game is effective, I don't think we'll see that situation, but this is also a passing league. So the quarterback's going to have to sling the ball around as well. It also is, it's also our offense uh, as well. We, we, we're more of a dink and dunk. Uh, Baker is really only averaging, I think, what, eight yards a pass. I think is what I was seeing. Right. So, you know, you, you got to, to get 342, you, you have to throw almost 40 times. So, uh, you know, it's not like he's out there having to throw 40 times because we're behind the chains all the time. He's throwing that many passes because that's how long we're, we're on the field, you know. And then uh, the defense, I want to talk about the defense for a minute too, because last year was very frustrating to watch this team play defense, as we know. And I know you guys talked on your podcast how towards the end of the year, it was just tough to really start, you know, to talk about shows. You guys talked about a lot of draft and things instead. Um, but the fact that we have 15 takeaways in the first five games, that just shows how much better that defense is. Also though, too, they've got, the offense has to start rewarding the defense by putting up touchdowns after they get those turnovers, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had 13 turnovers last year. We already have 15 this year. But like you said, the offense isn't rewarding the defense for their for their performance. And that's something that definitely needs to change. But yeah, this defense is miles better. And part of it's because of a guy named Miles, you know, Miles Garrett (laughs) has been an animal out there on the field, but not just him. Ogan Joby and Jannard Avery, those three guys are already in. They're in the top, I think, 10 for QB hits. We have three guys that do that. And, I mean, you know, Jannard Avery has blown my mind. You know, him being a fifth-round pick, I just thought he was going to be more of a special teams guy. But, obviously, Greg Williams has something in mind for him, and he has been an animal. Ogan Joby has stepped up in year two and has been a monster. And, of course, Miles Garrett in the top five in the NFL for sacks. But it's not just them. It's the secondary. I mentioned Denzel Ward earlier. Demarius Randall was a steal, almost a robbery, trading him from getting him from Green Bay for Deshaun Kaiser. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. Yeah, you're 100% right there. Yeah. And then EJ Gaines, you know, I think people were worried about, you know, losing Terrence Mitchell, but he stepped up and played well. It allows TJ Carey to main strictly a uh, nickelback. But, and, um, you know, the linebackers, you can't forget the linebackers. You know, you got Kirksey, Schobert. You know, my one buddy today, he said, you know, Schobert reminds me of Mike Vrabel. And then, you know, I go back and watch and I see that, you know, Vrabel didn't flash anybody, but he was always around the ball and he made plays. And that's what Schobert's done. And if he keeps this up, he'll be going to the Pro Bowl again this year as well. And Jamie Collins, you know, I haven't been the biggest fan of him. He hasn't really wowed me since he got here, but he had 12 tackles in a sack on Sunday. I thought he finally stepped up and played and hopefully he keeps that up. I agree completely. I think the linebacking core is a huge key to our defense because they're able to plug holes. They're able to, you know, stop the run. They're able to cover some of those backs out of the backfield. So it's not all on the defensive line uh, pressure wise or the secondary. Um, but yeah, I've been very impressed with our secondary too, outside of that, you know, that 
debacle in Oakland. I think they had some injuries, had some guys playing in positions that they're not normally used to playing, and I think that's kind of what led to us getting burned. Uh, but the defense from this, from last year to this year, it, like you said, it's, it's miles apart. You had mentioned Denzel Ward uh, putting his name in the hat for Defensive Player of the Year. You think he's a shoe in for uh, Rookie of the Year there, Jack? I mean, uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he keeps this up. There really hasn't really been another defensive rookie that's, you know, wild in the NFL yet this year that I can think of off the top of my head. But Ward, you know, he's doing it on special teams. He's tur- creating turnovers. I mean, he's all over the field on defense. You know, I was kind of worried about him coming in because he was going to get thrown into the fire facing all these top wide receivers. But he isn't scared. And I think he proves it. I mean, he's 5'10", like 180 pounds soaking wet. But that kid will hit you, and then he'll embarrass you on the field just by picking quarterbacks off. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a very good talent. I, when they when we went up to the fourth pick to get him, I of course when you go for a defensive back that high, you're kind of skeptical. But I was like, you know what? They know what they're doing this year, and I felt good about Denzel Ward. I saw him at Ohio State. I saw what he did, and I knew that he was going to be a Jalen Ramsey type when he got here. Big hitter. Uh, always around the ball, making plays. So I, I love what he's done. He's he's definitely made the pick look golden the way he's played already. Yeah, and there was a report this morning, um, NFL Network, Dean Rappaport, he said that the Browns were set on taking Ward two months before the draft. And, you know, everybody before the draft, we were all talking about Bradley Chubb for the most part. Yeah. But I always kept it in the back of my mind. I said, you know, I think Denzel Ward's in play because, first of all, the Browns need a shutdown corner. And he fits the mold of those defensive back, that, that playmaking defensive back that we absolutely needed. And I'm glad that they pulled the trigger on him. Not saying Bradley Chubb wouldn't have been a bad pick, but uh, Denzel Ward's been lights out so far this year. But you could still argue Denzel Ward's probably been the better pick because Bradley Chubb's doing well, but you don't hear like you hear about Denzel Ward that every time in the, in the highlights, Denzel Ward's there. You know, he's, he's doing what he was drafted to do, and he's doing it every week as opposed to Bradley Chubb is getting there here and there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, Chubb would have been nice alongside Miles Garrett, but oh, yeah. we would have been talking about how the secondary has would have been struggling with the guys we have, and we wouldn't have had that shutdown corner like Ward. Right. So what I'd like to do, you know, I'm going to make this comment to you, and, you know, and I'll let you play off of it. I think this finally goes to show, and I think, you know, the Browns have their quarterback. And in this league, good quarterback play gives you a chance to win every week. And having Baker Mayfield in the game, I could argue maybe we would be 5-0. and But having that quality quarterback play gives you a chance to win. And the Browns are proving to themselves, not only can they stay in these games, but they can win these games because they have the playmakers. And that's huge for our long-term sustainable success. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, good quarterback play will give us a chance, but – also, you know, having the elite defense is giving us a chance. Having a somewhat decent running game, although I think it could be better if we utilize it better. But like you said, having the quarterback play, having the quarterback there is the biggest thing. And as long as we have the quarterback, now everything else around it can fall into place. We can start building the team the right way. I think in recent years, you know, the Browns were trying to build the team around it and then try to put the quarterback in. And that doesn't work. I think it's worked in some cases it's worked in Philly it's worked in LA but I think and the media has said this and everybody kind of criticized the media for it but we needed to get the quarterback 
and that was always the biggest thing in Cleveland was trying to find that franchise quarterback. Now that I think we found it, hopefully with Baker, we can start worrying about building the team around him and having that long-term success. Yeah, I, I'm looking at Baker, and when I was watching him at OU, and I think I watched a lot of OU games unnecessarily, but it was because this kid just amazed me about how he just refused to lose. And when he did lose, he didn't take it well. And I, that's the kind of guy I wanted. I wanted a guy who didn't want to lose, who got mad when he lost. I, you know, he still he still showed some type of sportsmanship when he lost, but he hated it. And I and I love the grit that he has. I love the moxie that he has. I love the in your face that you you can't beat me. I'm gonna beat you. And if you don't play your best game, I'm definitely gonna beat you. Um, type of mentality. I I understand you know, that with him being a rookie, there's going to be hurdles um, and there's going to be more film on him as time goes on. Uh, but I, I think Baker will adjust just as he did at OU. I think at this point, I think we have found our franchise quarterback. And also real quick, before uh, we move on, I'd like to get your, I don't want to you know, ask you to say who's going to win or who's going to lose, but before the season, we took a look at our schedule and we were like, holy smokes, how many games are we going to win? You know, maybe we'll get two, maybe we'll get three. But the first five weeks, I think we can go down the schedule and kind of say, hey, we've got a shot to win that game. Or maybe that might be a game where we know we're going to struggle. Um, so I'd just like to run down them and get your thoughts. Winnable game or are we going to struggle? Uh, so this weekend we got the Chargers. Do you think that's a game that the Browns can win? Yeah, definitely. And then going to Tampa Bay on the road. Most definitely. Pittsburgh. I honestly think we're going to beat Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. That's just my personal thing. And then you got two weeks before the bye. You have Kansas City coming home here to the stadium. I think that game could get flexed to Sunday night. If the Browns win their next three games, you could see that game on Sunday night football. Uh, I was thinking that, and I know there was a little scuttlebutt on Twitter, but the Packers and the Patriots are, are the Sunday night game, so I don't see that getting flexed out. Probably not. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone again, maybe we could get that flexed. But I hate right. to say that. But what about they're, their, they're both playing poor right now. Uh, well, the Patriots are playing much better as of late. I, they're not. They're, they're not killing it. Okay, so by that time, if they're killing it, I get it. But if they're still playing the way they're playing, and if, you know, the Packers are playing the way that they're playing now. Yeah, I don't see the NFL flexing Brady and Rodgers to Mayfield and, and, and Mahomes. I can hold. That's, that's exactly hold. what I was going to say. Like, take take the Browns' homer cap off. Would you rather watch Brady and Rodgers or Mayfield and Mahomes? Uh, next year, probably yeah, Mayfield yeah, and Mahomes. Next year, that, but not next year, year maybe. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, maybe in a year from now, but right now I'd probably still rather watch Brady and Rodgers. Absolutely. It's, 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 you know, Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, it's Michael Jordan, LeBron, basically. So yeah, I agree with you. Kansas city. I'm going to say that they have a chance to win that game. It's the game that I probably feel the least confident in only because of how high power that offense is. But I feel that, um, you know, our offense can hang with their defense. I think we'll be able to put some points up. It's just, are we going to be able to stand toe to score and go score for score with them? It's my biggest fear. Yeah, I think, you know, Kansas City is going to be a tough game, but their defense is struggling. So, I mean, if Baker and this offense can get clicking, then anything's possible. And the same with the Atlanta game. The Atlanta Atlanta's defense is not doing well right now. Um, <laughs> so if our offense is playing up to the potential, uh, all bets are off. I think, you know, we could easily win any one of these next five games for sure. If you, if, you, if 
use the Saints-Falcons game as a barometer, I think we have a great chance against the Falcons, uh, especially, like you said, Jack, the defense, their defense is playing really poor right now, and they're just allowing points by the droves. So uh, with the way we were able to hold uh, Breeze to, what was it, uh, 18 points? or Three points, three right. quarters, and then, yeah, got away from us in the fourth. Right. It, it, I think we got a great chance against the Falcons. I I had them pick to go all the way this year, and I'm, I'm shocked with the way they're playing. So I think them coming here and outdoors in the cold against us, if it is cold by then, I think we, we may take them. That's a very fair point. And then you're going to have two weeks to prepare for the Bengals because you have your bye week, and then you're going to come back and play the Bengals. Bengals are a beatable team. We've seen that. They're, they're a good team, but they're not special. Houston has a losing record. I would think you'd have to think Houston, we have a chance to beat Houston, even though we're traveling there. Yeah, yeah, I think Houston, we have a chance to win, but their defense, you know, Watt and Clowney still fear me, or they still scare me. I don't care if they've been hurt or whatever. When they're both on the field, you know, I just hope Harrison and Hubbard will be ready because they can come at you and dominate a whole game. Right. Um, And then you've got Carolina. Carolina's also, they're a pretty good team. Cam Newton's figuring out his his weapons and how how they're going to play offense down there. Uh, I think Christian McCaffrey is a tough matchup for the for the defense, just with how athletic he is and what he can do, not only running the ball but catching the ball in the backfield as well. Yeah, definitely. Carolina's they got an underrated offense. I mean, you know, they have McCaffrey. Obviously, Cam's a dual threat. You know, but their skill players are starting to pick it up. DJ Moore is looking like he's going to be a good draft pick for them. Curtis Samuel made some nice plays this past weekend against New York. So, you know, and Greg Olson should be back by that time. So. That Carolina offense is always going to be one to watch. And then week 15, you've got a Saturday game against the Broncos at Mile High. The Broncos are nothing special. Their defense got lit up against, was it the Jets last week? So, you know, I think that's a game the Browns can win. And then you finish with two division games at, or with Cincinnati coming here and then going to Baltimore on December, on, on December 30th. So for the first time in a long time, we're looking at the schedule thinking, man, we actually – we could win. Not, I'm not saying the Browns are going to go undefeated the rest of the way, but you can make an argument each week that they actually have a legitimate chance to play competitive winning football. Yeah, definitely. If their defense can stay healthy and keep playing at the level they are, we're going to be in every game. I, there's no doubt about that. And then it's just going to come down to can Baker Mayfield and the offense execute. And I don't want to look too far ahead, but with that week 17 matchup, if Baltimore stays on track, and we keep, you know, shocking the world like we are right now. Imagine week 17, that game gets flexed to Sunday night, and it's potentially for, like, the AFC North or a wild card uh, position. You know, this town would go freaking crazy. Oh, my gosh. I, I told, you know, we were talking if the Indians went and collapsed, we thought about maybe going downtown yesterday and just getting some reaction from fans that were outside and going to the different bars and just, you know, setting up we got you know the ipad and our little microphone that we would just go talk to people um but if that's the case you can bet your butt i'll be downtown cleveland watching the game and talking to fans and and interacting with people because i think that'll capture how this city really feels 100 percent, i 100 percent agree with that um and and it'll be excited because this will be a first time in a long time and and it's just it's a huge turnaround if we're in that position so going down there is is a must i gotta be a part of this atmosphere whether i'm at the game outside the game, near the game, something to do with that game. I gotta say Baltimore, so we'll be downtown at the bars watching it with people. Um, like I said, at the game, near the game. Well, you you can spend that money, Jay. I'm not, I'll watch it from the privacy of my home at that point, then. 
All right, Jack. So I would uh, have you guys, and I, I apologize. Uh, where do you see this team at the end of the year? Do you see them making the playoffs? Do you see them falling short? How do you feel about it? Or is it still too early to tell? I had them going six and 10 at the beginning of the season. Um, as it stands right now, I can see them winning anywhere from six to eight if everything stays on track that it is right now. We all know injuries will probably happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's a part of the game. Um, I'll stick with my six and 10 record, but I will not be shocked if at the end of the season we are contending for a wild card position because the AFC North's wide open right now, in my opinion. And, you know, looking around the rest of the AFC, I could see us being in a scenario when we entered December and we're in the wild card slash AFC North hunt. And if that's the case, it's going to be an exciting December. Well, I mean, if you look at it this way, too, right now you're two, two and a half games behind the Bengals, but they've got the Steelers this week. If you pull out a victory, if we pull out a victory against the Chargers and the Steelers beat the Bengals, you're in a spot now where you're only one game out of that division almost halfway through the season. So to me, I'd have to say, if we win this weekend and the Steelers beat the Bengals, we're right there. And there's no reason why we shouldn't contend at that point. And, and for me, the Browns, at this point, I, I think they are contenders because we're so close. I, I, you know, I'm looking at the Bengals and they're playing very well. You know, the Dalton, the AJ green connection is finally happening the way it should and the way it did before. Um, but I, I, they're still beatable to me. And, and I think we're better than Pittsburgh and Baltimore at this point. So it really feels like Ohio is the place to be for the AFC North. And when it comes down to it, since he's going to struggle, they're going to, they're going to trip up on some games. And I think that, the way we just went through the schedule, the way it looks at, we, we could be sitting at the point that Jack was saying, like, week 17, we could be there. And I and, and it, like you said, it all starts next this week. If we can beat the Chargers and they lose to Pittsburgh, it, it's, it's there. I think there are contenders. But I still – I agree. I don't see them – I see them at 6-10 and 10 as well. I'll stick with that until we get over 500. Right. And then, then, then maybe I'll start talking, you know, reckless and everything like that. Right. So, Jack, I want to get your thoughts before we let you go. I don't want to get too in-depth about it because it's a family-friendly show and I might lose my mind. But what were your thoughts about the Indians debacle in in the uh, American League Division Series? What the heck happened to that baseball team? Man, it it was tough. You know, I thought the series could go either way. I did not expect us to get swept by any means. Um, I just think we we – came up against the juggernaut like the Houston Astros there. They won 103 games. They're the defending world series champions. They have a strong top three uh, pitching rotation of Verlander, Cole and Keuchel. And, you know, it started off on the wrong foot. Kluber. I don't know what's going on with him when it comes to the the playoffs, you know, his last four outings, he has a 10.2, ERA. Um, you know, the bullpen was, garbage i mean mm. miller and allen kind of getting i'm ready for them just to to leave i hope the Brown, the indians aren't serious about re-signing them in free agency uh jose ramirez disappeared for the second straight postseason you know the he whole team like again he looked like the guy that couldn't hit when he first came up with the indians right he, out here. yeah jose was the guy like three years ago everybody wanted to get out of town and then it's he became like one of the best hitters in baseball. And then he disappeared again in the playoffs. Um, I mean, the whole hitting minus Francisco Lindor did disappear in the playoffs. So, I mean, it's tough. You know, I think the overreaction people trying to fire Tito is ridiculous. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it goes right back to 20 years ago when they fired Hargrove. Who were they going to get better? I mean, it was not – it wasn't Hargrove's fault that they choked in the playoffs. I, I mean, during the 90s. I mean, teams caught up to them, and it's just wrong place, wrong time. And I think that's what's happened here. I think – and I've told this to people. I think 2016 was our best opportunity to win it all. It didn't happen. We knew Houston had a young up-and-coming team, and they were tanking and building up all these assets. We knew that Boston and New York weren't going to be laying down forever, and they obviously have come back. I mean, I think the Indians are going to tinker with some moves. I think, you know, look in the 90s. You know, they brought that squad back in 96. It didn't work out. Then they made some moves. They traded Lofton. They let Bell walk in free agency. I would not be shocked if the Indians did make some big moves in the offseason. Will Stahl trying to contend, but also preparing themselves for the future. And I do think one thing, I hope they go out and re- try to re-sign Michael Brantley because, first of all, I think he's a good guy for the locker room. And second, he's still a great baseball player. He's still one of the top outfielders in the game. And I still think they need to go try and re-sign Francisco Lindor. But if they don't this offseason, then next offseason they need to look to trade him to get something worthwhile before he walks in free agency or we wait to the last second like Baltimore did with Machado where they just get this package of uh, random prospects that might not pan out to be anything. Yeah, that's my biggest fear, though, with Lindor and even Ramirez if he returns to form next season. I have to think that he will with his track record is you might be able to pay one or even with Brantley, you can pay one of those three. Which one do you pay? And obviously I would want to pay Francisco Lindor, but if the Indians, you know, I still think they have a two or three year window to contend because I don't see anybody in our division um, going to be ready to win that division next year, other than the Indians, even if they lose some pieces and bring back what their core that they have now. Um, but, you know, if, if you're in a spot two years from now, at the, you know, come the all-star or come trade deadline, I should say, and you're still contending, I'd be hard pressed to, to trade Lindor, but then you run the risk of getting nothing for him in return. So right now they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place because I would think next year they would need to win it all so they could start looking at their future. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the thing with Lindor, you know, they offered him a $100 million contract extension at the beginning of the 2017 season. He turned it down. He's about to be 25 years old. He's got, I think, three years of arbitration starting next year. And, you know, we all know, Lindor is going to be one of the highest paid players in baseball based on what he's done already. And what I think he's going to continue to do, he's going to be looking at that three, four, maybe even a $500 million contract. The Indians aren't going to be able to get him for that no. because they, they just can't afford it. I mean, the Dolans have done a great job of adding onto the payroll, but they're not going to add that much. So I would and think I can't blame them for that either. Cause I mean, I realize where we're at and they have to be smart with their money. And like I told my wife, you know, she really likes Lindor. I said, well, enjoy him because in a few years I said this is not his fault this is not the Indians fault this is just how baseball is he's not going to be here yeah he's going to be at a big market you know look for him to, to, to be in Boston or to I don't think he'll go to the pinstripes because Didi Gregorius is their man right now but I mean I'd rather have Lindor over Didi Gregorius but you just you know Yankees have been pretty loyal to their shortstops as as evident with Derek Jeter so I don't know if Lindor is going there but uh, yeah, look for him to go to a bigger market where there's a lot more money, like the Dodgers, the Phillies, or or Boston, or something like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, we all, you know, kicked the Dolans 10 years ago when they traded CC, they traded Cliff, Victor. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. If Sizemore wouldn't have got hurt and he would have turned into the superstar we all thought he was going to be, 
the Indians would have traded him too. I mean, they're just not in a financial situation to pay their superstars. And it's unfortunate, but it's the nature of the game when you're at a mid market. I mean, it's, it is what it is. So this offseason is definitely going to be interesting for the Indians. I think they're going to make some moves, but I still think they're going to be contending. And like you guys said, they're still got a two or three year window because a lot of these guys are locked up on relatively good contracts for the Indians. So, and their pitching rotation still somewhat young, even though Kluber and Carrasco are in their early thirties. I think as long as they stay on the right track, the pitching is going to carry them to the division. So I want to hit you guys with this stat because it hit me square in the face like a mound of bricks because I was just kind of looking back at the last three postseasons. And obviously, as we know, we got out to that 3-1 lead in the 2016 World Series. If you go back to Game 5 of the 2016 World Series and play through the Yankee Series and then the Astros Series, the Indians are 2-9 and nine with that core. So mate, you're right. Some of these pieces like, you know, Miller and Allen, some of these guys who might be getting older, 2-9 and nine, kind of shows me that maybe we do need to go out and make some of those bigger time moves. Like, you, you know, I would even be willing to give up one of our starting pitchers to get another bat because I think not having offense killed us this past postseason. But two and nine in your last 11 postseason games is a tough pill to swallow for a team that's won almost, you know, all of the best winning percentage in the American League over the last three seasons is us. But to go two and nine in your last 11 is a tough pill to swallow. Let me throw this question to you guys because it was brought up by Bruce Jennan. He was on with uh, Carmen and Lima yesterday on 92.3. Would you be opposed to looking at trading Corey Kluber this offseason? I mean, he's got one guaranteed year left, two club options. He's still one of the best pitchers in baseball. You could get a great package for him. If you're the Indians, would you explore you know, looking at potential trade packages for Kluber this offseason? I don't think I would have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with, with listening to offers. That's what I really mean by that is if you're going to get something such as we're going to bolster our bullpen with, with Corey Kluber, then I'm comfortable with, you know, Plutko and uh, Bieber being our, you know, moving, moving everybody else up and putting those two that have proven they can pitch at this level, put them at the bottom and, you know, get a bullpen bolstered. Or if we're going to trade him for, for a big name bat and, and basically be able to keep him for a year or two, to basically put us over the edge so that we can win these series. I don't mind shopping him, but I, I want nothing less than fix my bullpen or fix my lineup. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm not opposed to shopping Corey Kluber around just based off. He's 33 years old, had some injury issues with his back, with his knee. If you're going to move him, the time is now because I don't know what next year is going to bring, how his body's going to sure. hold up. He's thrown a lot of innings. So if somebody's willing to give me that big name bat or like Jay said, some pieces in my bullpen, um, I would do it. I would, I would really, really do it. I would thank Corey for his time. Um, but you know, I'm looking to what's going to give me the best opportunity to win a world series in the next year or two, while I still have the guys in my lineup, like the Lindors and the Ramirez's of the world, and maybe even Brantley, if you can get him back, I would do it in a heartbeat as much as I hate to say it, as much as I like Corey Kluber, um, if it's going to help the Indians long-term, sign me up. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, when you're looking at the Indians pitching for the future, we have Clevenger, we have Bauer, Carrasco's here for, I think, another year or two. We have Bieber and Plutko. We also have Tristan McKenzie down here in Akron, and he's looking really good as a prospect, and he should be up in the Indians uh, 
the major league team by the next, probably by this time next year. I think he's that good that he can he can beat the Indians next by the, the end of next season. So I want to get back to the series against the Astros because I had some notes here that I would just like kind of think, and I felt like we were outclassed, outgunned, outpitched, outmanaged. It was almost like watching the Rocky Three fight against Clubber Lang the first time. It was like over before it ever really started. I, yeah, I, 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 I can't believe that analogy was even made. That's, that's so that's so messed up. I, I don't think we I don't think we were outmanaged. I don't think we were out. Oh, we were outmanaged. Jay. I, I, don't, I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily know that. I felt like at one point Tito was was coaching for for his playoff life at that point because the the, the, the Astros are a buzzsaw. Like up and down that lineup, they ended up just being a buzzsaw this this postseason. I didn't think they had that much potential talent that they did. I thought they were a good team, but what they did to the Indians was great. Like they had great at bats. They had, uh, you know, great pitching, everything like that. So it was just a, it was a buzzsaw on the flip side for us. I just feel like it was an execution. It was lack of, lack of execution. Uh, like you said, Ramirez looked lost up there. I mean, our big bats went one in 35. Like you can't have that. You, you can't have people disappearing like that in, in, in the playoffs. Yeah, but isn't it the manager's job to kind of help sit everybody down, especially after game one, the way that they were swinging and missing at all those pitches? Jack, I'll ask you to answer this. Isn't it kind of Tito's job to kind of look at his coaches and his team and say, all right, guys, after one game, we kind of need to make some adjustments, especially after game two when Garrett Cole has 12 strikeouts and all of them are swings and misses and most of them made our best hitters look foolish. To me, that's on Tito to try to make some changes, to try to get some guys to look at their approach a little differently, and it never happened. And I mean, he may have done that. We don't know like what Tito was doing behind the scenes. You know, this guy is the best manager in baseball and it's not just yep. me saying it. There's national guys saying yep. that. I mean, for all we know, Tito could have been behind the scenes telling these guys about their approach. You know, you know, the hitting coach, uh, they wanted people were calling for his head in April and I don't know why they haven't made a change yet. Uh, I just think Tito needs to tinker some of this coaching staff because it just doesn't seem like some of these guys are doing their job to their best of ability. I mean, we hit 144 as a team in the in the playoffs. That's not supposed to happen when you have guys like Lindor, Ramirez, Brantley, Encarnacion, Donaldson. I mean, we have so much talent. We have all-stars at yep. each position in the lineup. We did that in the playoffs. I mean, it's just not – it wasn't what everybody expected, obviously. When you have four at-bats with men in scoring position in the entire series – it's tough to win games because I granted Lindor hit some big hit, hit a couple of bombs, but if that's your only offense, you know, you score six runs in three games. And the last one that they scored was in the ninth inning when it was already over. So to me, that doesn't even count. So he scored five runs in, in three games, really. For me, it just looked like it was a problem between the ears for these players. It, it, it the talent is there. Like Jack said, it's, I, these guys got to execute and they got to have better at bats. They've got to look to really find their pitch because in the playoffs, the, the pitching is going to be a lot more solid. You're going you're gonna to be going against a lot of guys that know where to hit their zone. And it felt like we were just swinging at whatever we thought we needed to swing at. Not the pitch that we wanted, not the pitch that we needed to hit, not working the count. It was, you know, the ball wouldn't even be close. It'd be under the strike zone, swinging a miss. And it's like, that ball was never going to be a strike to begin with. What are we swinging at? Those were the type of bats that killed us. And it, that to me is just execution. I, I can't. I can't fault Terry for, for that at all. 
I mean, I don't fault him for that, but I just really thought that, the, you know, with the way that he has managed in the past, I just thought that we would see, especially getting your home, you know, getting the home uh, field advantage, that we would have saw a different approach to the game uh, yesterday or, you know, two days ago. We, we just didn't see it. And I think as a fan, that was the most frustrating thing to me is, you know, I haven't seen our team since Terry got here dominated the way they've been dominated in three straight appearances. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I with it just for me, the Astros just look like a more solid team, and and they look like they were a veteran of the playoffs. They knew how to do it. They carried themselves with a different swagger than the Indians did. I just didn't feel like the Indians trusted themselves. Yeah, I, you know, to piggyback off what Jack said a few minutes ago too. I don't think any of us expected what <laughs> happened, and I think that's the most frustrating thing is we thought it was going to be one of the better playoff series that we've seen in a while. And the Indians came out, and we got we got nothing. I mean, it, it was nothing for three games. Um, do you think Bauer was tired at the end of that series, Jack, having pitched three times in four days? I, he may have been. I know Bauer's always said, like, I can go on short rest if you guys need me to. And, I mean, he only pitched four innings, but maybe he was tired. I mean, it's just – I don't know what was going on with the bullpen. And I know a lot of people are pointing at game two when they took Carrasco out early. You got to think, there was two men on. Carrasco was starting to wear down a little bit. If he would have given up runs and everybody would have been like, well, why didn't we go to the bullpen earlier? And I think it's just people want to take that instant reaction these days, and they they freak out over situations like this. And also, too, Miller coming in and pitching the way that he did, I would have never expected him to do that either, throwing behind, you know, no command. I mean, yeah, granted, the pitch that was hit was a good pitch. It was down in the zone. The guy just did a nice piece of hitting, but – it just seemed like he never got his season going. At no point did Andrew Miller look like the Andrew Miller of 16 or 17. And then to your point, Jack, it was like in game one when Justin Verlander started to take on water, and like it was like he hit a wall, and they instantly pulled him too. Dude was pitching a marvelous game too. And no one questions that because he got pulled and his bullpen took over and shut us down still. But on the flip side, when we do it here, Carrasco hits a wall, we get two men on, we go to our bullpen – and the bullpen struggles, they blame Terry. And, and that's not that's not fair. You know, it's not fair at all because two of the same exact moves, it's just whose bullpen executed and whose bullpen did. Right. It, exactly. I mean, if I think did Miller come in after Carrasco on Friday? I'm can't even remember. No, it was, I think they handed the ball to Trevor Bauer. I'd have to go back. Yeah, and it went it went to Trevor Bauer and Bauer proceeded to give up a couple of uh, hits. Pretty hard hit ones too. Yeah, he gave up a home run, I think, because I mean, it felt like every time George Springer and Bregman were up, the ball was leaving the ballpark, and that you know they gave up eight home runs in three games. I just felt like the pitchers got whiplash from seeing the ball leaving the <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, but uh, to say that, so Carrasco gets in that jam. They pull, they put Bauer in. If Bauer gets out of the jam and ends the inning, and then the Indians somehow go on to win that game, no one's saying anything no, about not- Frank Tony's decision at that point, right? So Ramirez, Encarnacion, Donaldson, two for 32, 062 from the three to five hitters. Ramirez was sentless. There's why you lost. I mean, honestly, Absolutely. you know, you, you know, you had yeah. and Lindor, they got on, Lindor hit 333 or something in the series. Brantley got enough hits. Your table setters did what you asked them to do. Um, the one thing I will say in game three that really bothered me is we got our first two guys on, Lindor comes up and sacrifice punts him over. I mean, I know that we have been struggling to manufacture runs, but when you're up against it and your best hitter comes out with two on and nobody out, 
he shouldn't be ever laying down the bunt. If, I mean, if anything, this should have been Francisco's call, but I hope that didn't come from the Indians from the Indians dugout. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, people were talking about that too, saying why was Lindor bunting? It could have been his choice. He could have seen two guys on base and he's saying, We need to get we need to get these guys in scoring position to try and score some runs. I'm gonna do this for the betterment of the team. But everybody freaks out and says, Oh, that was I bet that was Francona's decision. We don't know. I mean And no one would ever Terry wouldn't come out and say, I called that and throw Francisco under the bus and Francisco's not gonna throw uh, Terry Francona under the bus either, but that was just one of my observations. Like when they did that, I was like, man, you got to me. That was like almost they were playing scared. Like we just need to get one run, and it's like, no, you need to get like three or four because you haven't had an inning yet. A and B. Every time you've come out and scored, the Astros have come back to tie you or go ahead. So you needed to prove that you could score some runs. And if they would have had a big inning there, we're still playing baseball tomorrow. I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It just they were just a powerhouse though. I, and, and I tip my cap to them. And they're they're a well-made team, very well-made team, top to bottom. They're ba- the the pitchers on our team feared their batters, where vice versa, it wasn't it wasn't the same. From game one to game three, our, our batters look uh, anemic at the plate, and the pitchers were not afraid to challenge them at all because we were not hitting. Right. But you know, right. it's one of those things. Well, go ahead, Jack. I'm sorry. I was going to say Houston, I mean, they, what they've done in the last few years has been unbelievable. You know, they tanked, I think their payroll was around like 30 million and then they slowly brought all this young talent up then they had a decent pitching staff. Then they went out last uh, September or August, got Justin Verlander, won the world series. And then in the off season went and got the other best pitcher on the market in Garrett Cole. And now, they're looking at potentially building a dynasty down there in Houston, which is crazy because if you would have told me that five years ago, noticing how <laughs> what their franchise was in, wouldn't have believed it. But tip of the hat to their organization, they've done a fine job. They're almost like turning into the Golden State Warriors of Major League Baseball. No, no, the no, Indian, no, the no, Indians no. are like the Cavs are just running into that bus. I mean, I hate to say that because anything can no. change year to year in baseball. But I would say they're more – I, I would attribute. I, I would say, yeah, okay. If you're if you're talking about how they're, that's fine, right? But uh, I feel like the Houston Nationals carry themselves better than the Golden State Warriors. But uh, I, I really do. That's 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 me being salty though. At the same time, but uh, um, Houston, I, I have this formula where I see there's always a six year window with teams, and you, when you build your team from the time you tanked to the time you get the players that you you were going for, um, and you start making playoffs runs, I feel like there's always a six year window. And, you know, I feel like Houston, like San Francisco did, they peaked early in the rebuild and they got their one. So expect them to be there because I think they're on year two of their six-year window. I I expect them to win two, three more because of the the way the team is built. They're they're a monster. And they would, like Jack said, they went out and got the veteran pitching that they needed to go around the young bats. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. They're going to be, a dynasty here before it's all said and done and they start having to really trade players for money reasons and things like that. Right. So Jack, what else did you want to chat about tonight before we let you go? I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us tonight. Uh, I think we covered everything we need to talk about. I mean, if there's anything else you guys want to discuss, I'll throw my two cents in. No, you know, I think we're going to get into geek stuff. I'm not sure how much of a geek you are compared to me. We're, I'm a big, he's a big WWE guy. I am too. We're big Power Ranger fans. We're going to start talking about all that stuff here in a few minutes. 
I'm a, I'm a slight WWE fan. Uh, not so much on the Power Rangers anymore. They were awesome when I was eight, but you know. Right. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I just never stopped watching it. And 25 years later, here they still are. So it's, it's sort of that nostalgia thing where, you know, we still love the 90s and things like that. Like with WWE, I still hold on to the Attitude Era and, and, and things like that. So, um, you, you know, that that's why I still follow it. And, and Power Rangers is always just, it's just kind of, you know, and it, it's interesting to me, uh, the show and the, and the fighting and the costumes and all that stuff, you know, so I hold on to it. Uh, not as much as Terry does, but we still, we still, you know, are kind of parallel in our love for it. I have a shrine in my basement, basically, of all old school Power Ranger toys. All the new stuff that they've released, old school stuff. I mean, it's basically taking up my entire basement and it's found its way upstairs a little bit. And my wife is so happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he is married, folks. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with the Power Rangers, though. I used to love them. Um, I still watch them on Netflix from time to time. The old stuff, so nice. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I love the Power Rangers, but uh, yeah, in WWE, I I mean, I've been a fan for almost 20 years. I, I but I only watch like when the old timers come back because you right. know those that's what I grew up on and that's what I still love. So. I mean, SmackDown 1000, 1,000 episodes of SmackDown is a week from yesterday, so it's six days away, and they're talking Evolution's going to be there, Taker's going to be there, Rock is going to be there. Um, they're still trying to get Stone Cold to come back. John Cena's going to make an appearance. So if you're into old school stuff, I would say next uh, Tuesday night's going to be your time to uh, really enjoy uh, that two-hour spectacle that they call SmackDown these days. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that'll be like that's one of the things I'll watch. Like this past Saturday, I got up at seven eight a.m. to watch Undertaker Triple H. I'll be getting up early when the uh, DX fights the Brothers of Destruction. I mean, I like some of the new stuff, but you know, seeing Undertaker and even like Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement because I never thought it was going to happen. But I mean, when the Saudis offer you ten million dollars to come out of retirement, who's going to say no to that? You're right, right, and like they offered uh, if Rock was champion to pay. I don't know if it was him or WWE. So you're going to probably see Rock appear there and wrestle and win the championship, or go in as the champion, which kind of stinks for booking because we kind of know what's going to happen before it happens. But anytime the Rock has a microphone in his hands, you've got my attention because I know he's going to say something that's going to stick with me or that I can try to sound like or you know just play over and over again because it's funny. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Jack, well, we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. You guys can definitely uh, follow Jack on Twitter at CLE. Jack's also the uh, co-host of the 1085 Gridiron Pod and the NC Sportcast Pod. He's also the head writer. Check out all the stuff at thenorthcoastsports.com. Jack, it's been a pleasure. You're welcome anytime. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'll be happy to come on anytime you need me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Let's get back to our thoughts about Kane putting his body on the line. My uh, iPad and iPhone sometimes get connected for some stupid reason. So when somebody calls me, not only does it call my phone, but it calls the iPad and then it kills our recording. Thankfully, it didn't do that with Jack. We got very lucky. Um, However, so you were mentioning about, you know, you want a politician that maybe puts his body on the line, not only for his career, but for his constituents. Yeah. And, and for me, it's just, you know, it's just funny because he's actually literally doing this. So you actually visually get to see what are you doing for my my city? What are you doing for my county? 
I'm going in there and I'm beating Shawn Michaels, but that's what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> so and then, you know, Shawn Michaels, you know, for as old as he looked a couple weeks ago, like when they flexed, he is still jacked out of his mind. He got skinny man muscles. <laughs> he's, 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 that's what I think. <laughs> he's got skinny man muscles. There's no there's no fat on this guy. So So I got fat guy muscles then. That's it, what it is. I mean, you look like Kevin Owens to me, so it, you know, it's fine. It, you, WWE I'm a is more sh- punishing Samoa Joe. I like to think. Nah, Samoa Joe is just fat. Like, <laughs> just, I, hey, I'm not gonna say it to Samoa Joe's face because he probably no. will tap me out. Right. Um, I'd have to actually try to outrun him, but you know, I, I think you got more of the body type, just like Kevin Owens. And but Shawn Michaels, he looks good for his age. Um, he he shows the signs with the balding head, but that's. That's pretty much it. Right. I'm excited to see what he's what he looks like. I and can't wait for the you still got a chance because I feel like that is gonna that is gonna rain down when he shows up and and puts on his uh, show stopping ability and everything like that down at Crown Jewel. I can't wait to see that, and then I can't wait to see what comes out of that as well. Uh, one thing I wanted to hit on real quick is we have SmackDown 1000 next week. And for the first time in many years, and I think the first time ever on SmackDown, all members of Evolution will be there together. Undertaker's going to be there. The Rock is rumored to be there. This is going to be a pretty nice two-hour show next week. I mean, SmackDown's good to begin with, but I think this is going to be a stellar, stellar effort. SmackDown has been the show right now to beat. Raw is, has been subpar. And I'm excited for SmackDown 1000 because there's, there's a lot of people that... I'm excited to see one one key. Rey Mysterio has decided to come back, and he's decided to come back full time. Pretty excited about that. I wonder how he looks right now. But in Lucha Underground, I think he was doing just fine. So hopefully he comes back. He stays on the straight and narrow this time. Gets off the drugs because that's why he was kicked out uh, for the uh, substance abuse policy. Hopefully this time this run is a long run, and he gets a lot of t- championship titles. Lots of run-ins with Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for everybody that's coming back. I want to know what Evolution's going to do. I hope they don't just come out and talk. I hope they actually do something. I hope right. they actually fight or, you know, fight somebody or right. do something. Lift you know? somebody up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know. You know, I'm excited, too, because you mentioned Rey Mysterio. They've got a uh, crown jewel match. Yep. Qualifying match. Shinsuke Nakamura versus Rey Mysterio. That, to quote JR, is going to be a slobber knocker. It should be fun. And... Shinsuke, finally Shinsuke gets a match for a long time that he finally deserves with somebody who is is just like him and can go with him. I mean, it's been a long time coming since he left NXT. He hasn't had those matches except for AJ Styles. That rivalry was probably the best that Shinsuke's had right, right now. And then he's just been put to the wayside, you know, with this feud with Jeff Hardy and, and, and Randy Orton, two guys that should... Randy Orton doesn't really fit his style. Jeff Hardy should have, but they didn't really allow Shinsuke and Jeff Hardy to do what they could have done to make the roof blow off the place. Right. So, so Crown Jewel's coming up. SmackDown 1000's coming up. Got a couple of some things to talk about next week for SmackDown 1000. We mentioned we're only going to talk WWE, really, when they do something big like this. So I think SmackDown 1000 counts as kind of oh, a, yeah, it's absolutely absolutely of it. opportunity for us to uh, recap. Um, so... We mentioned, too, uh, we're going to do a segment pretty soon. TK and Jay go to the movies, and I want to go see, you know, uh, uh, what's the, the one with Neil Armstrong? First, my goodness. Oh, first Man. First Man. I want to see that. I'd like to go. We should see that together and give our thoughts on it. Um, but I follow Stan and Lee on Facebook. I don't know if you do. 
uh, creator of a lot of the Avengers. Mm-mm. I uh, Marvel Stan Lee's the creator yeah, of the Marvel Universe. Marvel, yeah. yeah, and uh, he uh, had an article on his website where Mega Man, favorite comic or favorite superhero uh, video game wise for me personally, Mega Man's gonna get a live action movie. So everyone's getting movies now. Now Mega Man, Jay, are you familiar with Mega Man at all? Um, so I'm gonna be honest with you. I was more of a Sega guy really? than okay. a Nintendo guy. So I'm more familiar with with Nintendo characters. The only familiarity I have with Nintendo characters is Smash Brothers. Right. So I know of Mega Man from Game Boy and Smash Brothers. Uh, I could be thinking of Metro. Metro. No, Mega Man's in some of the, the newer is, Smash is, Brothers is as he, well. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking of. Uh, the guy who just shoots off the big sonic boom. No, that's Samus. Yeah. Samus. Uh, right. She She's the one who shoots off that huge thing, not Mega Man. So I'm not too familiar with Mega Man. I know he wears the, he's the blue outfit. Right. He's kind of short, like a Mario-type character with a big ass, I mean a big head. No, you can say big <laughs> ass head. That's fine. That's all right. That's all right. You're in the moment. I appreciate he said, that. He said he got, he's got a big head. <laughs> And uh, I've seen him, and and he had a cartoon, did he not? He did have a cartoon, yeah. That's as much familiarity as I got with him. I don't really know his story, though. So you got Dr. Light created, you know, the good robot Mega Man, and Dr. Wily creates all the bad robots, and Mega Man has to go through each level in each game and beat these different robots. And whenever they shoot out at him, after he defeats them, he gets their power. So when Metal Man shot blades at him, or he got Metal Man's blade power... You know, things like that. When you beat Air Man, he got little tornadoes he could throw at people. When he beat Bubble Man, he could throw bubbles. When he beat the Quick Boomerang guy, he got Quick Man, he could throw boomerangs. So it'll be interesting to see how they can incorporate that into a live-action movie. Because the way the Mega Man games were, I was like, oh man, that would be like a cool if they were to like make it into a cartoon-type movie. But how are they going to incorporate Mega Man into a live-action thing where he can take on powers of different robots he beats throughout? Because... That, to me, that's going to be really tough, but I'm excited to see who the cast is, who the studio is going to be, what kind of budget that they get, because budget really dictates on what you can and can't sure. do in a movie these days. Uh, but shout out to Mega Man, man. I'm excited to see you get uh, your theatrical debut, but I have a feeling it might be a quick one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, see, I don't see sequels happening in there. No. Unless it's a knock-your-socks-off type movie uh, that, that blew you away, such as Black Panther. Who, I mean, who knew? I'm gonna be honest. As African American male, I thought the movie was just gonna be a generic nod to the African American culture and the African culture in there, and it was more than that. So, if if Marvel and Disney are taking over this project, I expect it to be a good movie. So, and I wouldn't worry about it. But uh, you know, who knows? Right. We'll see who gets behind it. But just wanted to throw that out there for all you Mega Man fans out there. He's gonna get a live action movie. They're writing the script right now. It's gonna be. Still several years before we see it, but I'll be interested to see that. But uh, a couple movies we have coming up, we're going to see First Man. Creed Two's coming out. We're going to have to go check that out and give our reviews on it. Um, as long as it's not a horror film, I'm totally down with going and seeing anything. And, and No horror films for you, huh? Uh, do you want me laying in your lap? Scared, <laughs> as, scared as a button the entire nah, movie? No, nah, no, nah, it's okay. We'll, we'll refrain from that. No, All right. no, no, no scary movies then. All right. <laughs> So before we wrap it up tonight, uh, we have a, our Jackass list update. And Jay, who did you put on that list last week? You put Isaiah Crowell. Isaiah Crowell. And that dude went off. And you know what? I don't know if anybody's ever noticed a trend. But if I go in on somebody, you better bet on them next week. Because Jason Kipnis, I went in on. And that dude hit a walk-off home run the right. week after I went off. I just went off on Isaiah Crowell for his dude wipes. And the dude almost ran for 200 yards. He did. He ran for 219. Okay, so he did run for 200 yards. And I called him soft. He only had 59 yards. 
he ran for 219. So I'm going to start hating on Michigan so that they can win the national championship. <laughs> this is what I feel like. I don't man. think you can hate enough. I'm I, sorry. No, I, 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 feel, I can start. I'm going to start right now. I'm just going to go home and, and kick all my Michigan stuff, burn it right now, and see where this goes. You know, we're going to have to uh, have to get Adam Vino to listen to this, our buddy, because uh, I don't think he'll be too uh, too uh, enthused to hear you burning all your Michigan stuff. Oh, yeah, too. Before I forget, our call-out from last week, Nate reached out to the boys, and there's not much interest. They think it wouldn't be a game. They say it's not even worth their time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Imagine that. They're, they're hoping that we suck up our pride, go to Gene Clark Stadium out there in Lodi, and show up on Thanksgiving morning. I'm not going to give them that. I'm not going to give them what they want. I am not doing it. You guys can go, but it'll be without me. I'm taking a stand. They need to come play us when we're ready before. I want it as a tune-up for the Turkey Bowl. I don't want to go in there and play them at the Turkey Bowl because then tempers are going to flare. They're going to get pissed because we're going to kick their butts for two straight hours. They, I guess they don't want none. What, what you guys need? Do you need the green? Do you need us to put something on the line for you guys to show up? Because we will show up. You don't understand what you guys are asking for. We will give you this work anytime you want it. Don't act like you're better. You're better when you haven't even seen the talent that's about to, to rain down on you, man. Anytime, any place, anywhere. I'm telling you right now, I've seen the talent that I played with for the past two years at the Turkey Bowl, and I would pick any of those guys right now, sight unseen against your guys, and know that we're going to do work. No question, none whatsoever, we would do work. I would pick any one of my dudes and bring them out there. I'd pick the slowest dude we have out there, and we would still do work. Thanks. I wasn't even talking about you. I had someone else in mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. I apologize. And even if you were the slowest dude, we would still do work. I, I don't know. I can't even believe I am offended that someone would say they were not worth their time. You better make time because you better get ready to clock in because I'm telling you, we going to put it to you. You better pack a lunch. It's going to be a long day, man. It's going to be a long day down at the ball field for y'all. I'm going to wear buttless chaps just so you can look at my butt all day because that's all you're going to see when I'm running past all you guys scoring touchdowns left and right. You have got me fired up. Don't tell me that these dudes are going to chicken out playing us. Oh, my God. Um, um, uh, Assless chaps. So they can look at these cheeks all day scoring touchdowns. What if we don't want to look at those cheeks all day long? You guys you guys, will be just fine looking at it, throwing me touchdowns all down the field. You guys better have your best defender on me because it's going to be a long day. I'm telling you, right now, it's going to be a long day. Well, yeah, you're going to score touchdowns because if they're staring at your ass, they're not going to want to touch it it's to tag pretty, you down. It's a pretty ass, though, man. <laughs> Mrs. Snow can attest to that. I have no interest in finding that out for myself. So after we got done speaking with Jack, he uh, shot out a tweet at us. Uh, and I was so, so far on our jackass list, we have Isaiah Crowell, LeBron James, and Aaron Goldhammer. And I've, Jay says he doesn't have anybody this week, but I've got one. I've got one this week. And it really it burns my soul to hear him say what he said, and I'm very proud to add Kyrie Irving to my jackass list. And here's why. His quote saying that the ownership was willing to take a chance on him and, quote, get him out of Cleveland. Son, who the hell are you to say get out of Cleveland? This franchise drafted you, bent over backwards for you, made sure you had everything you needed to succeed, stuck with you when you got hurt, gave you 
the max deal that they could, and you want to get out of Cleveland? Son, what are you smoking? You know, I've never liked Kyrie when he asked for that trade. I was not a fan of him at all. I don't want I could care less what he did or what his next steps are. But I, I'm feeling in my bones the fact that he said that he wanted to get out of Cleveland it makes me hate him even more. You're not going to win another championship elsewhere. Your best chance was next to LeBron James as Batman and Robin. That was your best chance. Right. End of story. Boston's a great team. You guys have a lot of talent. LeBron James couldn't get through Golden State. So you think you're going to get through Golden State with Boston? It's not going to happen. Your team couldn't even get through LeBron James who couldn't get through Golden State. So to think that you were going to go run your team in Boston and be the man, when you were the man here in Cleveland, you guys didn't even make the playoffs. So I don't even understand why you think you're this such, such God gift to, to basketball that you, you were better than Cleveland. You're wrong. You're not better than Cleveland. Cleveland was better than you. You owed Cleveland. Cleveland did you a favor. Right. And this is another reason why I'm on my NBA sabbatical. Heads up, folks. If you're looking for NBA breakdown, it's not going to happen on this podcast right now, if ever, just because of the way LeBron has scorned us, the way way Kyrie Irving comes out and says things. Hell, I laughed at it, but Steve Kerr, I don't want to be here. Eject me from a preseason game. Like, these guys just think that they're the gift and that everything revolves around them. And it's such a me, me, me sport. It's probably the least team-themed sport of the major three. It's a bunch of prima donnas dribbling a basketball. And I tell people to the blue in the face, I can't stand basketball because, it. to me, you want to say it has skill to it, fine, whatever. You say it has skill. I'll tell you right now, you're dead wrong. Because 60%, not maybe even more percentage of basketball is a genetic thing. You have to be a certain height to even be a good basketball player. Sure, has small players come along? Fine, whatever, make your argument. At the end of the day, if you're not average six foot and up, you're not going to be good at basketball. That's Or make it, it to the good enough to play at the exactly. NBA. Exactly. Yeah. It's the end of you. At that point, if you're, you're me and Terry, who are barely pushing six foot... It's the end of us. We, me and Terry, we play good basketball, but we can't literally be in the NBA because of our physical stature. That's not a sport to me. That's literally something else. That's you have. If you have to be a certain genetic size to even play the sport, it's not. It's not a sport to me. And so I will go on the rant all day to say that every sport out there is better than basketball. I can't stand basketball, especially the parody in it right now. Can't stand it. March Madness. I'll still watch college basketball. I love that March Madness tournament, especially since it happens around my birthday. So Kyrie Irving, you, sir, you son of a bitch. (laughs) And I, you are the president of the Jackass Club. President, you're there. And I don't know if anyone anytime soon is going to supplant you as the president. Isaiah Crowell is your vice president. Aaron Goldhammer and LeBron James, they're on the Senate. Pretty soon we're going to have enough for a damn House of Representatives. Yeah, and... and Just the fact that he had the audacity to to dog Cleveland, and whether he meant it that way or not, you've been around long enough. You know what you you should say and what you shouldn't say. Get me away from LeBron would have been a better thing to say than get me out of Cleveland. Way better. And for me, I get... You know, Isaiah, Kyrie, we loved you when you were here. Think about it in in the back of my head. Screw Crow. But Kyrie, we there's kids that loved you, wanted your shoes, wore your jersey over LeBron's jersey. They loved you. So to say that, get me out of Cleveland, 
a, a place that wanted you there. Boston don't give a crap if you're there or not. They've got Gordon Hayward. They got Marcus Smart. They've got a whole bunch of other players. You were a dime a dozen, dude. Like, they proved they can get to the Eastern Conference Finals without you. So, to think that you're somebody, you're not. You're just one, another person, another cog in, in the North, New England sports dynasty that they could care less about you. They're going to ball you up like a piece of paper and when you're done you're done they're not even going to remember you were here because right now you haven't even done anything that matters but here in cleveland you did something that matters you built something you won a championship it meant a lot you were part of that we loved you and then you're going to say to get out of cleveland breaks our hearts man nothing does it break my heart but look you're never welcome back in this town i hope that the Cavs never retire your number sorry but you weren't here long enough to get your number retired anyway. I don't care what shot that you hit. Yeah, you hit a shot that won a title, and I'll always be thankful for that part of it. But my lasting memory of you is, well, thanks for the Boston ownership for taking a chance on me and getting me out of Cleveland. Man, I bleed for this city. I love this city. I love the sports. I love the hardworking people that are in Cleveland and in the suburbs. Man, we're blue-collar Hardworking people, and for you to spit in our faces like that, man, get the hell out of here. Yeah, Cleveland doesn't deserve that. We we are a town that is starved for winners and championships and and good teams, and we bleed hard for our teams, as TK and I have mentioned, and we deserve better than that. We don't deserve that disrespect. We weren't disrespectful to you. We a lot of people weren't disrespectful to you when you left. When you came out and said you wanted to trade, we just said thank you, Kyrie. Bye. That's it. We I blocked you on that. social media because I didn't want to say anything stupid. There's yeah. no need to. You don't want to be here, great. Then I don't need you flooding my timeline with your gunk. So I blocked you. Same thing with LeBron. But LeBron hasn't come out and trashed any any Clevelanders. He He's rooting for the Browns. You saw him watching the Cavs game on the big screen in, in the locker room, their preseason game the other day. This because I had ESPN on and they were talking about the Lakers. And I couldn't find the remote fast enough to freaking turn it off. That's the truth. Um... But, yeah, so Kyrie, you're the president, and Crow uh, is the vice president of the Jackass Club. Fine with me. I still I still don't know if LeBron exactly makes that list for me yet. Uh, he makes that list because, uh, like I said, what he wrote in 2014 to come back here was just words to get him over and get people not upset with him. And saying this was home and that you wanted to finish your career here, that doesn't mean leaving for four years and signing with another team and not giving us more than two years at a time or even a year at a time. That's why he's on that list because he could never commit to us long term and that bothered me. I felt like every word he said in that letter was just to get him over, good publicity, for the, to get the good graces of people again. Pull the wool over all our eyes. That's why he's on that list for me. I don't think... I, I, I would think people would be short-sighted to think he was going to stay, especially when the you know the, uh, the the roster was deteriorating again. Uh, we were getting decent players, but I don't think w- with LeBron we're going to do much better than we did last year. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of vicious cycle of the same things. Uh, and I think his mindset give was give the team a chance to do something. Don't just bolt and run. Sure, I, he put us in a terrible spot. And this is another reason why I don't like basketball because I feel like there's a lot of looking out for myself on both sides, not just the players, but the franchises too. They're, they're doing a lot of things where it's causing these NBA players to say, you know what, you're not going to do that to me. So they're acting like a lot of prima donnas. So it's tough to watch right now. It really is tough to watch the product, but uh, I, I still, as much as LeBron does, I'm not going to fault him for, for, for the scorn of the jersey. 
because I'm taking more of a human aspect of it. Um, I, I, the reason why I get so mad about Kyrie is because he took the direct shot at our city, our you know, our human nature, yeah. good good human nature people. Where you know, I, long story short, for me, when I lived in Georgia, I always talked about how good people were in Ohio because we're just generally good people. If you meet someone on the street. You know, people might not even know. Me and TK, we just met like two years ago for the first time. Had been talking online for a couple of times because Michigan, Ohio State. Met the dude, generally became friends because that's what Ohio is about. You're not, you're friends with people until you earn the, 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 the moniker that you're not either not trustworthy or you're not a person to be respected. That's yeah, but where to it me, it was, a, it was a fool me once, shame on me. Or fool me by shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. So for me, for Kyrie to just spit in our face like that, he deserves that. LeBron's never done that. He did that to the jersey. He did that to just the jersey. He yeah, did that to the cat. He does To me, the, I'm more scorned because he couldn't give us a long-term commitment. And he goes out to Oakland or to, to L.A. with a team that is not as proven as, as we are. I don't see the upside maybe like some other people do. And you gave them a four-year commitment. Why couldn't you give us? A, if they would have given the Cavs more of a commitment, they could have done more to build around him. But he would never tell give you, them that. I'll tell you why he did that. Because his, we are all knowing right now, LeBron James has been way bigger than basketball. And I don't mean that that he's he's God to basketball. What I mean is he's always been someone who wasn't just focusing on dribbling that ball. He was a guy that's focused on putting his place elsewhere. And that's what his move to Los Angeles was for. He's, you know, going out there to be a, a Hollywood star. He's already moved on to his next career. And the only way that he can do that is be out there where the movie theaters are. And so that he could still do what he, he does to get paid and then do what he wants to do after basketball. Yeah, but he's LeBron James. He's going to be able to do whatever he wants after basketball. Why are you scorning your hometown city and because your Because he, he can do it now while he's playing basketball. Instead of, I'm in Cleveland, I got a game tonight, I got to be at the arena, I can't fly out to be a part of this movie. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but if you're basketball, you can't, to me, and during the season, you can't do both. I, if, in and LA, I think he can. I think his play is going to suffer. But I don't think he cares. I, that's, what I, that's what I honestly believe. I, I believe that LeBron is the best talent in basketball, but I don't think his mind is always in it. You agree. Sometimes it looks like LeBron's not even there no. when he's playing. No. So... He's the best talent in the world, but when he, this dude has his mind set on something, that's what it's going to be. So if his play is going to suffer, I don't think he cares. Right. It's only us that care about his legacy. He only cares about his what he's doing for himself, Savannah, and those kids. I really believe that. That dude only cares about his legacy off the court because on the court, it's, I, mean, I'm, I won't be short-sighted and say he doesn't care about his legacy on the court. I know he wants to be one of the greatest of all time, but... I really see this dude's ventures are more worldly than just playing basketball. This is why he built the I Promise School. This is why he's in L.A. Things just for me, I just feel like it was bigger than him leaving the Cavs and going to L.A. just to go to L.A. Because that roster's terrible. <laughs> and you're right, that roster's terrible. But I don't think that move was for that. I think that was a business move, not a basketball move. I will take what you have said <laughs> under consideration. And I will have an update next week as to whether LeBron... Remains on the list or comes off of it. Uh, fans out there, tell us what you think. Hit us up on the Anchor app. Leave us a voicemail. LeBron, on the jackass list or not on the jackass list? Uh, also, what are your thoughts on the Browns? You can hit us up on Twitter at J-A-E underscore T-K. And you can email us, 
TK and J Show at Yahoo.com. We are very active on social media and we love to hear from you guys. Me and TK are on our on there hours at a time when we should probably be working for what we actually get paid for, but we're on there corresponding with everything. So we'd love to hear from you. I mean, we have good debates. You know, we're open. We're not going to steamroll you. We would hope you would do the same to us because we just like a healthy debate or a healthy conversation about sports. That's all this is really about. Absolutely. So with that said, I think we're going to go ahead and put the caps on uh, on tonight's show. Um, once again, I think uh, had a great time with you, oh, as always. Always. <laughs> and, always. Uh, thanks again going out to Jack McCurry coming on with us. Uh, Jack is the co-host of the 1085 Grid, uh, Gridiron Pod. You can hit them up on Twitter at 1085 Gridiron. He also hosts the NC Sportscast Pod, and he's also the head writer of the NorthCoastSports.com. Check out a lot of what he has to offer there. It's some great content. Like I said last week, if you don't want to uh, to listen to the talking heads, you can certainly uh, read what Jack has to say. And you give Jack a follow and some love on Twitter at jmccle. It's a great follow. Uh, we, we all have good conversations between the podcast world right now. Uh, I, I love the dynamic that we have going. And, and Jack, he has a lot of good insight. Uh, before he even came on the show, I was following him on Twitter and just reading some of the things that he would say. Uh, it, it just I was like, wow, these, these are thought-provoking tweets and things like that that would cause me to just say this is my point. And and, and I love what he had to input to the show today. He really knows his stuff, and I really do enjoy it. I think we're all really into the Browns this year, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad that they're a team to be interested in right now. Right. So, man, we got a big show next week. Then we'll recap Browns-Chargers, which will be another big win. Uh, we didn't recap Week 5 of the NFL this week. We just didn't get to it. I think we had some more uh, provoking stuff, and we don't want to do the same thing every week, and that's fine. Uh, so we'll uh, get into some more NFL next week. Uh, we'll find some more geek stuff for you, and we're going to recap SmackDown 1000. Should be a good time. Going to be a great time. Until then, guys, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Browns. Go Browns.